Welcome to Podcasts for Social Entrepreneurs. My name is Digby Chaxfield and I've worked with social enterprise for many years. In this episode, I interview Kelly Lindsay, founder of Friend Indeed, a fantastic social enterprise and a bit of social engineering to get us back in touch with our generations and helping each other as a community. This episode was recorded several months ago um, and Kelly has now registered as a charity, so she talks about that as something she is doing. She's also released her social impact reports. Kelly's asked me to add to the podcast that they are looking for any families who want to get involved with her little visitors scheme. I hope you enjoy the pod. If you have any questions, you can contact me at digschacks or at podcasts number four sockent on Twitter. I'm sitting with Kelly Lindsay in her kitchen, the founder and chief executive of Friend Indeed, um, which is a social enterprise that promotes a friendship across generations, the intergenerational project, um, all about promoting kindness um, and mental and physical health. Kelly's going to talk a little bit more about the activities, but first, welcome Kelly and... How are you? I'm very well, Digby. It's good to see you and have you here, and thanks for the opportunity to tell you more about Friend Indeed and what we're doing. Yeah, well, thanks for lunch, and it's nice to be here. Could you talk a bit about the social issues? I think on this podcast, I want to find out the the things that you're trying to solve about society that are problems. So what is it that Friend Indeed is really targeting in terms of challenges? Yeah, we've got um, quite a few aims. Um, primarily, when I set up Friend Indeed, it was all about helping reduce loneliness and our primary focus was to improve the well-being of older people physically and mentally and finding ways to achieve that. Um, we know loneliness and isolation is a massive issue in lots of different communities across the whole of the UK and what we wanted to do was find interventions and ways that younger people can be more involved with helping older people live well. So we've got a variety of schemes that I'll tell you about in more depth, but really it's the simplicity of children spending time with older people, which benefits them from a physical and mental health point of view, and there's lots of research showing that. And actually it's helping children and it's helping families because it's a, it's a very big community focus. And when I first set up Friend Indeed, a lot of the things I've noticed, I used to be a teacher, is a lot of our communities are quite fragmented and people don't work together and people don't help each other. And it's a really simple concept to help people understand how they can be kind just by spending time with people and just the sort of ways you would when you're looking out for a neighbour or another person. So it's trying to create an atmosphere where we understand that you can all look out for each other and doing that across the generational gap, which benefits everyone. Yeah, superb. Is there, are there many other things that try and do that? I mean, it's bandied about in the press. Yeah, a lot this... about the intergeneration and, the, and kindness, and we know that you know other social enterprises like the Happy Organisation have been going for many years, but I haven't come across anything that quite does it in the way that you you do. No, I think we're unique in the approach we take to it, but there is a lot more out there that is intergenerationally focused. So we've got a lot of care homes and nurseries that are looking at um, forming on shared sites, which is fantastic. We've got a lot of schools going into care homes, probably not as much as they should, but they're things that we're trying to advocate. And then there's a lot of groups now that are forming where music sessions are taking place in care homes, and that's actually one of the schemes we offer. 
where we're slightly different is that we're trying to get the families more involved. So when our little visitors go into care homes or dementia cafes or day centres to spend time with older people, a family member or relative or other guardian is taking that person. And what's lovely about that is um, for the older generation, they get to interact with a child, but they also have someone there who might be in their 30s, 40s or a grandparent in their 60s, and they can interact and form meaningful conversations also with them. Uh, so it kind of sometimes I think if there's just children and older people, the connection can form easily, but sometimes it can be two very different groups. And if there's people in between to bridge that and to help those people connect, it can be, um, be of particular value. And plus, in, in the way that we do it, where parents are taking children into care facilities, ultimately parents are volunteering with their children from a very young age. And I think it's wonderful that as children grow up, their parent will be able to say, well, look, when you were three, six months old, you were, you know, we were going into these care homes and you were helping people smile, you were reducing mm-hmm. loneliness and... That's what we want to do. We want to teach young people from a very young age how they can be kind just through, through interacting. I mean, is there a very simple, basic fact of providing an opportunity for communities to come together in a way that, I don't know, it seems crazy that people of different generations don't speak. And we live in a very specialised society, don't we? Mm. Everybody's online. You read a lot about anti-loneliness stuff, but you read about it by yourself yeah. online. Um, but... The fact that you know parents and young children often form their own little groups and they meet with each other of that age or mm-hmm. that experience and they're joined by experience, you seem to be bringing people together in a slightly unusual space where, where relationships can form. Definitely, and when you think about it, it's a very simple concept. If you, if you look at the issues we've got potentially at the moment with a lot of children's centres that might be shutting... Those provisions, if they do shut, we're going to have a lot of parents with children who have relied on those centres with potentially nowhere to go or trying to find new provisions. We've got some great resources in communities such as libraries, but care homes are a massive asset in the community. They're warm, clean buildings with people who are qualified to to care for people and they're completely underutilised. It makes so much sense for children and parents that would naturally interact as a group anyway to go into a facility like that where you know they can be in a nice warm hospitable room and um, just let the children play and interact with other people from what you said about our ages being segregated you're right as a nation we are still quite age segregated compared to some other communities across the world and there's a lot of research about across the UK about we have a very negative view of ageing and part of that is because we're still quite age segregated and I think what I've noticed in England we have a lot of families whose relatives live further afield in different counties now those people with their grandchildren with the people's grandchildren won't be able to visit them potentially as much as they'd like now what we need to see is that that's not an issue but if we can create a social movement where you visit your older people in the community they don't necessarily have to be your relative but they're an older friend in the community we create an atmosphere where someone is looking after your older person while you're looking after theirs and to be honest i think that's how every community should operate regardless of age or any other sort of social factors so Really, one of our aims is one day to have it that when someone has a baby, they think, OK, so we, can, we start going into a care home. Yeah, that's superb, isn't it? And the benefit, it would be lovely to hear an example, perhaps, to illustrate the benefits from the two sort of extreme ends, the benefits um, on the, for the young people going in and the young families, but also the benefits for the, the older people. Because I imagine the stories and the connections made. I mean, I remember when I came to visit around Christmas time, 
one of yours, there was a distinct difference in body language of some of the older people the minute that those young toddlers wandered in. There were smiles, there were the open, the shoulders open, there was no stooping, people started beginning to want to move and join in. Um, it, it, you could see there's a transformative, and all you're doing is just bringing two different ages into a room. So uh, have you got a good example you could give? Or, or I've got, got or hundreds. hundreds. Yeah, thousands. <laughs> yeah. It, it is that though, Digby. It's, it's such a simple concept, but the results and the impact it has is phenomenal. And to be honest, I actually underestimated just how poignant and beneficial this would be. And at first you can go into one of our sessions and just watch and you can, you can see all of the things you've just spoken about there, the body language, the demeanour of how people change. I've just left a session this morning where we've supported um, one of the Independence Matters sites in Norwich, uh, a dementia unit, and children went in and one of their service users is hardly speaking anymore and she won't use her name if someone asks what her name was. And as soon as she was introduced to a, a three of the small little visitors, she mentioned her name, she was very upbeat, her body language changed and she interacted with the children, she was smiling and... Um, what was really noticeable is that session lasted for just over an hour. The children were sharing books with the older generation, which is a great tool to sort of introduce each other and um, a concept they can share. And when the children left, the environment and the room and the atmosphere and how it changed was unbelievable. And that particular lady, as soon as the children had gone, she sort of just went very insular again. Um, her body language changed. When I said goodbye to her, there was hardly any recognition or involvement. Yeah. And that's really what children can do. And regardless of your age or any other health issues might, you might have, children have yeah. an ability to make us do things. When a child asks you to share a game or a book, you, you can't really say no. And even for some people in care homes that aren't as fond as children and might not necessarily be that interactive with our little visitors, they actually you see them, though, watching the other residents enjoy it. So it's very uplifting for them, even if they're not that interested in seeing children, to watch other residents benefit from it. And I've actually had instances where care home residents have said, well, it's not really for me. I'm not too bothered about seeing children, Kelly. But what's lovely is I haven't seen you know, Doris smile that much for, yeah. for a long time. And in terms of the benefits it adds to both groups, it is very different. But um, one of the things that really resonates is that I think they both realise in their adding value to each other. And it might be hard for each generation to necessarily understand what value they're adding, but they leave these sessions feeling very fulfilled and happy and kind. Yeah. You know, there's a mutual wow. benefit, a massive mutual benefit. There seems to be something very instinctual and um, obvious about all of this. And it seems crazy we don't have this everywhere, this kind of opportunity. The activities you're describing are not structured necessarily, unless I, I've got it wrong, but it's, it's the kind of magic happens when people start naturally mingling together or do you do you structure these things as well we've kind of tried a variety of both um where we do have we sometimes have theme sessions around pick particular times of year and then we also often uh, give a theme for a week so when little visitors are going into care homes this week they might be looking at books together we sometimes give the parents uh, just an idea of something to use so they've, they've got a, a concept to follow but what we have noticed is sometimes in the more structured sessions it actually draws attention away from the really important thing, which is the people interacting. Um, so I'll give you an example just to put this into context slightly. One of the homes we're supporting locally in Norwich, their local school used to go across once a year at Christmas and sing to the residents and then leave. 
And when I spoke to the residents of that care home, because I like to get feedback from uh, the older generation that we support and ask them what will matter to them. And the residents said it was brilliant to see the children each Christmas, but the children would then leave without even getting to talk to them. And they said we would rather have just chatted to them for 15 minutes and then they went. Now, that care home and school are now working together. We, we got them collaborating on a poetry project where the children went in and sat with a resident and wrote a poem. And as a result of that, that care home and school are actually forming a choir together. So we're taking it a step further. And oh, rather, than the, yeah, rather than the children going in, singing and leaving, yeah. they're actually working together. They're going to train together and we're going to open that up to the local community. And I mean... I think it will be a wonderful thing for the local community to go in and see these different generations singing together. Sounds superb. Perhaps, um, I was going to say, the education system could learn a thing or two about how that facilitated approach works, because it doesn't sound like you've gone in with learning outcomes. We will have a choir, we will have a thing. You've actually facilitated a process of coming together that's resulted in that outcome. Um, That's fascinating. So are there particular groups that you target i mean is it this is generally open to everybody or as in in terms of the providers we're working with as in terms of the beneficiaries and uh, you know uh, is there a type of activity that you focus for people you consider in need of support or, uh, or, or is this open to it's it's open to anyone really i mean our primary aim is about connecting the different age groups so um predominantly we're looking at working with older care facilities one of the care providers we work with would actually like us to work with their, some of their care facilities that are for people with disabilities. And I think there's massive scope to do more in the future because although we are focused on intergenerational work, ultimately, Digby, we're here to help, we're here to promote kindness and we're here to make communities more inclusive. So I think our aims will actually evolve yeah. as opportunities do. Um, ultimately, we're about bringing people together and if you're working with, you know, babies and toddlers and every child age in between and the older generation, you, you naturally are working with everyone in between as well because we've got parents of different ages yeah. and, and all of the different aspects that make people different. So not really, no, we, we would consider working with anyone. Mm. Anyone that we can add value to, we'd be happy to. So that's a, lo- a lot of work you've done already. How long has Friend Indeed been going? So I stopped teaching just over two years ago to set up Friend Indeed and to be honest when I first set it up I wasn't 100% sure what our aims would be. I wanted to set up some sort of social enterprise that just helped in the community and help reduce those issues around isolation, loneliness and the intergenerational approach just naturally formed. I started Mm. engaging with care homes. Um, I'm a dementia champion I had a grandmother who lived in a care home and I've naturally always had an affinity to help older people. What coincided with that is obviously that I have been a teacher. I like to see young people do well and not only progress in different ways sort of educationally but also as people and to become kind people. And the the intergenerational theme just just came about. Um, The Little Visitor Scheme has been running just over a year and the impact and interest we've had with that has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we're very well known now across Norfolk and other areas and we've got other people in different areas just hoping that we can expand to them soon which we're really hopeful to do. Yeah that's amazing and so in that very short period of time I've seen you on the telly I've read you in the paper I've heard you on the radio um, and which is phenomenal really considering you're also doing the do and going in there and actually running the workshops are you tracking all of this good stuff how's your social impact um, in terms of this do you measure it monitor it or 
We, we certainly do, because um, it's important that we can capture the results that we're having. Um, I think we need to do a bit more in terms of that, and especially we're in the process of becoming a registered charity, and once we apply for funding and things, we'll want to be able to show the impact we're having. Um, just to give you a bit of an insight at the moment, we're working with nine care homes um, across Norfolk every month, and on average, uh, most of those sessions, we'll have children interacting with about 10 or so older people. Uh, so that's potentially between 80 and 90 older people that we're accessing in care homes, but we're also supporting day centres, dementia cafes and other services for older people where we've got children coming into contact with older people, maybe 10 or 20 people a week. So there's hundreds of people benefiting from us weekly. Um, and what's nice is because we have a lot of the same little visitors going to care homes, it's actually it's got longevity so rather than where a nursery group might go in and then they're out of that care facility we're forming really long-lasting friendships across the generations so in terms of our impact a lot of the people we reach we then continue to reach rather than um, where you might see a lot of organizations that go in and help and then are yeah. no longer there what we're trying to create is a social impact that's long-lasting yeah. we'll be releasing this year's social impact report again this december just to give an idea of the numbers of people we're reaching, but the um, the figures are remarkable considering how long we've been running. And it sounds sustainable as well in the fact you're you know care homes closing, but actually there are always going to be some care provision as we get aging generations. Yeah. So that that sounds quite incredible and and full of full of potential. I'm interested in your capacity to take on new care homes, and you seem to have set it up in a way that means that the care homes can actually manage the process themselves after a while so you don't have to be at every single session and every single thing which does bode tremendously well for, for scale yeah. which is what you mentioned yeah that's the area we're really looking at now we know our concepts work we know they're adding a great deal of value and we know there's providers that want to work with us so what we're looking at now is how we can ensure we're sustainable and how we can scale up We've been getting some support from a technology company recently because one of the things that have held us back is is around um, social media and the resources yeah. we're using to connect families and care homes. And we'd like to have our own platform where that's more easily tracked and the care homes are more on board. So when the Little Visitors Scheme started, I met every single parent at a care provision one-to-one and showed the children yeah. round and um, it was wonderful. And obviously I'm not quite as involved on the ground at every session as I, was, uh, as I used to be. Um, but that's so we can grow. So you're quite right. What we're trying to do now is make this more of a streamlined process where really what we're doing is facilitating the local community getting more involved with their care home, helping find the children and families that want to be involved, and then potentially just giving the care home some guidance in terms of how they can interact with the children or what events they could hold. But we're helping provide those links with the community because one of our aims is that the care homes are seen as part of the community yes. and they're still not Digby. Yeah, yeah. And they should be. Well, you know, we mentioned about um, special over-specialisation and isolation and, you know, schools do this, community centres do this. You know, these we create these little mini buildings, these mini castles and trying to get a flow of ideas and people and connections to bypass it is really, really hard. I think you've... You've clearly found a way of, of doing that. Yeah, and, you, and you're right, we, we do that as a society. We group people, don't we, whether it be through disability or age. We're, we're so busy putting people into, into groups and then saying, you're over here and you're over there. But if we're trying to promote kindness across our communities, if we're trying to get people more integrated and less lonely, we need to stop doing that. Now, obviously, there's 
aspects of safeguarding and other things we have to monitor very closely to ensure people are safe. Um, but we need people to collaborate. We need different types of people to mix because it's actually the most meaningful things you come across in life are where really different people are getting together and realising they're not actually that different. Yeah. So to us, age is completely irrelevant and we want people of different ages spending as much time together as possible. Different ages, different backgrounds, yeah. Anything I, I and everything. be fantastic. I mean, it, it's an interesting illustration that when the, the great Brexit vote happened, the majority of young people voted to remain, majority of older people voted to leave. It'd be lovely to, to facilitate discussions amongst the two generations. Well, yeah, I agree. We we have looked at doing a couple of um, sessions like that, and we actually did one with a boy who I think he's about 11 or 12, and he's a regular visitor of a care home in Norwich. And we sat and spoke about footballers and how much footballers are paid. And the the, the contrast of people's views was brilliant um, in terms of what the younger person said compared to the, the two um, older people that were sat talking about it as well. But what was really interesting is through the discussion and their opinions, they both ended up just agreeing that footballers were overpaid. <laughs> what was fantastic, though, is the, um, the young boy... Um, at the end of it, he said, but I would like to be paid that same amount because he's a footballer. Um, but his mum added that he'd hopefully use it for better causes. Oh, there you go. Good, yeah, social entrepreneur footballer is something that I would like to interview someone like that. Sounds brilliant. Um, thank you for that, Kelly. And I want to hear a bit more about the business model um, after I've spoken to you a bit about your background. I'd love to hear how, how you started on this path and where, where you were. You Norwich born and bred and did you grow up here and, and how, how, what were your first jobs and how did you start develop this very caring persona? So this could be a long answer then Digby. Um, yeah you don't have to start at like <laughs> yeah. a gestation was, period. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay that's good. Um, I was born in Liverpool though so I'm from Liverpool oh. originally and my parents became publicans so we came down to Norwich when I was about four years old um, and it's only actually been recently um, I'm involved with supporting and have um, been a big advocate and follower of what the Campaign to End Loneliness do. They're doing remarkable work in looking at isolation and loneliness. And I recently attended their AGM, which I spoke at in London. And it was when I was planning on what I was going to say at that session that I started reflecting on why I set up Friend Indeed, why I want to tackle some of these social issues that we see. And when I was about nine years old, when we'd um, been in Norwich for a few years, we had no family here. My grandparents still lived in Liverpool, and I was very close to my grandparents. And my parents, because they were publicans, they were so busy. I mean, it's a very busy trade. And I actually found myself, I think, when I was about nine, ten years old, being quite lonely myself. And the, one of the care homes we actually work with now is adjacent to a school that I used to go to. And when I was nine years old, I remember walking home from school one day... And I knew I'd sort of get home to my busy parents and be doing whatever. I stopped off at the care home and safeguarding wasn't what it is now. So I just sort of wandered in and went to some old chap's bedroom and said hello. And um, it then happened that I became friends with these two, two gentlemen called Ted and Paddy. Uh, both had served in the war and loved telling me their stories. And um, I remember the first time I met Ted because he'd lost both of his legs in the war. Um, and I was fascinated just about that and I would tell them about my school day and I had no idea about the depth of that connection that yeah, we were yeah. both getting I knew they were pleased to see me every time I went and um, 
mutually, you know, I was very pleased to say them. They they took a big interest in my day and Paddy had given me wine gums and, and it was just wonderful. And I actually think the concept of little visitors was actually born yeah, all yeah. of those years ago. I'm now 37, so we're talking nearly uh, nearly three decades ago. It was already in there to understand the benefit of why the different generations should spend time together. I then uh, looked after my nan when I was a, a bit older. Uh, she developed dementia and she lived in a care home. She'd moved down from Liverpool at this point. Um, and I've naturally always wanted to help older people live well. There's, there's always been that sort of innate desire to, to help older people. Um, and then I did quite a few different um, things work-wise. I worked in business for a number of years, in management I was a self-employed personal trainer at one point and uh, then I went into teaching and I think I've tried my hands at a few things and I think ultimately if you're someone who does want to become a social entrepreneur you probably will do that because yeah. nothing quite fits and isn't quite right and you're never helping enough. So to set up your own entity to be able to direct that in the ways you want to help is, is a phenomenal thing to be able to do and I'd wanted to for quite some time. Um, but obviously finances and lots of those mundane things that we have to worry about as, as adults were, were holding it back until I was in a point where I could save some money, stop teaching, work part-time and set up Friend Indeed. So the desire was there for a long, long time um, and it, it sort of all just uh, came about very naturally in terms of how and when. Wow, that's amazing and a complete, perfect monologue of, of your experiences. Fascinating and it, it, you come across as a, an experiential sort of person, somebody who goes through the experience and sees and observes and, and then translates that into something. Is that a fair point? I think it's very accurate, yeah. And I, I think I didn't realise just how much of what I'm trying to achieve from Friend Indeed was potentially because of things I'd witnessed or experienced yeah. myself. So uh, when my nan went into a care home, it was a good care home, but just not enough meaningful interaction. Um, I saw her dementia develop, Fortunately, it didn't you know, progress too much, but I've interacted with a lot of people with very advanced dementia and we need to find ways to reach those yeah. people. And then on a personal level, things I've experienced in my life in terms of some loneliness or feeling different and not feeling connected to people. Yes. And, it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad thing, but it's important we recognise what's happening to us or other people around us to be able to find ways to try and reduce those issues. It's that choice. I'm very interested in social entrepreneurs experiencing and seeing things and then there's a practical choice about at some point you decide I'm going to, I can and I feel empowered enough to do something about this. I mean, was there, is there any key point you just thought on? Well, I qualified as a PE teacher in secondary schools. Yeah. Um, but when I came back to Norwich, I ended up doing some supply and that took me to a, a, a school for children with behavioural and emotional problems. Oh. So children that have been excluded from mainstream schools. And a lot of the issues they faced were around, you know, difficulties in home life. And um, again, it, it raised my awareness to some of the social issues we face. And the, yeah. the, the, there's a lot of natural cycles that are just repeating themselves. And it's like, how do we break these? Yeah. Um, and for young people like that, empowering them and giving them an opportunity to be kind and make better decisions, invariably they take it. Yeah. About part of your solution is you create the best people to help solve a community problem. Are the people in that community themselves so you're facilitating a, an experience where people regardless of trouble illness whatever could find a pathway to... to to me a lot of it's about connection and ultimately it's the communities that are the most cohesive and tightly linked where you see the least social issues and crime and other factors because 
you don't tend to hurt or take from people that you know because mm. you, you have these relationships. And the more we can integrate and look after each other, I think we'll hopefully see a reduction in those sorts of things. So if we think about our little visitors going into these care homes from a very young age, they're learning about equality and diversity and health and ageing, and they're learning about how to be kind. And, uh, you know, what I hope to see is that that will have a direct impact in reducing bullying in schools. Yeah, yeah. And you're providing a valuable, real, person-to-person experience as everybody gets plugged in more and more to social media, which is an amazing, wonderful thing and has the power to transform. But there are things that we seem to be losing a little bit of. That's fantastic. Thank you, Kelly. I, I, I want to go in a slightly more pragmatic business direction now, if that's okay, uh, and ask you a little bit about the, the business model. So one of the things that we're trying to do is, is show people that social entrepreneurs see a problem and then you're working out a way of turning that into something that is um, doing a lot of good but also making enough money to sustain itself in an era where handouts are kind of dwindling. So what is your business model? How will you describe it? Where, where do the peas come from? Um, good question, that Digby. Um, <laughs> for the first 18 months, I fully self-funded Friend Indeed. Um, I could have gone down the route of trying to apply for funding and um, setting up schemes and then reporting on that, but that's quite a slow process, and as a sports person, I get frustrated quite easily. So uh, I went on a, a, quicker, a quicker journey, which has got us in a better position yeah. and helped more people much quicker. Um, we, we got to a point though where that wasn't going to be sustainable and we actually spoke to the care providers that we were providing support to and asked if they could try and provide some financial support which they've yeah. been happy to do so in a, in a basic way we're trading with care homes yep. by facilitating um, meaningful interaction with the community and things. So they pay for little visitor sessions for example yeah so when we work with care homes monthly we offer lots of different support so we have weekly or fortnightly little visitors based yep. on what that care home would want we can also advertise um, other bigger sessions that they would like children to come to which sort of adds more to the environment and um, so say for example a care home has a pianist coming in or yep. some sort of musician and thinks it would add value having the children there because although some of the residents might engage with music if there's children there it'll help them engage or change the atmosphere so we we add on to their sessions that they already have. We're also running a pen pal scheme. Um, so the care provisions we work with, members of the community write into a small group of residents and it gives a activities coordinator another sort of activity they can yeah. do with the residents. So they uh, read out a, a letter from someone in the community, discuss that letter as a group and respond as a group. We also try and connect care homes with their local school, which we're really pushing at the moment to try and make sure they're, they're getting more interaction with children and older children. And then we're doing a lot of one-off events. So we recently did an intergenerational sports day with the help of Norwich School. And we want to do more and more things in the community that also mean that care home residents and older people are getting out yeah. of the facilities they Hang live on. or An intergenerational sports day. How did, the, how did that work? It was brilliant. Um, putting octogenarians against yeah, yeah. Well, I think, five-year-olds. I think one of the age gaps was about 90, 95 years on a wow. team. Um, and it was uh, sort of the, the easier aspects of a, a sports day. So we did an egg and spoon race, we did skittles. Awesome. 
Um, we haven't tried the tug of war yet, but um, maybe one year, you oh, never know. Um, but it was fantastic. It was just a really, really lovely community event. Uh, some of the school students from Norwich School helped. We had teenagers involved. We had parents there with babies and toddlers and um, school-aged children. And it was actually, can you remember in Norwich over the summer, there was a ridiculous amount of heat, and I think oh, we hit yeah. the early 30s. It was actually on one of those days, so we were yeah we were quite concerned, and at one point we were considering stopping the event. So all we did was spoke to all of the care providers, made them aware that the you know we wanted to make sure everyone was safe ultimately. And unfortunately, instead of about twenty five older people coming, we had four. Um, but what was brilliant is those four people just had the run of the show and absolutely loved it. And it was a and it's something we're going to build upon. Um, yeah, yeah. ITV News came along and and did a little bit of coverage of that and. It was just a wonderful event. In fact, next year we're, we're going to do that annually now with Norwich School. We're actually hoping to try and break one of the Guinness World Records. Now, we're not sure which one yet, but yeah. with the, the age gaps we're going to have available, I think we can uh, come up with something and um, yeah, really make a name for ourselves. Definitely. Sounds like you already have broken a few records with, with that. That sounds superb. And egg and spoon races are a dying thing. I know. Bring back egg and spoons, sack races. Um, oh, that's great. Thank you for that brief. I just thought it was such a fascinating idea. Um, to, so back to the business model then. So Care Home's paying you sort of a monthly fee and you provide activity into that. Is that it is, the yeah. basic, basic? Kind of, yeah. We're, we're trying to, what we're actually hoping to do and we're developing at the moment is weekly themes so with the care homes, they will slowly take more and more responsibility with running the events. Really, what we're doing is just trying to find the community engagement across the ages and um, give them a theme. And then that care home can deliver that in yeah. different ways. But we might develop resources and things. Um, as we become a charity, what we really want to do, though, is is get more sustainable and bring in more income to give us more diverse options of the people we help. Because what we're still aware of is if, if care providers are financially supporting us, it's those with the most that can afford and yeah. can get the support. And we don't want to not reach the people that really need it. Yes. So at the moment, for example, we're applying for the Aviva Community Fund. Uh, we're trying to get 10000 from that. And that will mean we can support seven care homes for a year. Right. And, and that's we, something people can vote for. Yeah, it's a public want. voting system. I think it runs to the 20th of this month. And... Yeah, anyone can vote. You just register your email address and yeah. those votes will mean really impactful stuff because the care homes that we'd like to reach are those that are most isolated, have the least resources, have the least activities and ultimately it's those older people that we need to reach yeah. that aren't maybe having visitors at all within a year. I mean, it's... Uh, so and is that one of the reasons you chose charity? So potentially you can generate funds through donations to cover the, the gaps... Yes, yeah. I, uh, the reason we've wanted to become a charity is, well, yeah, there's there's quite a few reasons, but what we want is a very sustainable model. So being a charity will mean that we can access funds for, through grants and other types of funding. It will also mean that we can do a lot of fundraising. We already have a really deep volunteer base and that will continue to grow. So we know a lot of parents would probably like to be involved in fundraising and different opportunities. And then also trading some services. So by trying to um, bring generate income from all of those different sources will help us remain sustainable because we're not here just to you know dip our toes in the water for a short period of time and leave what we're trying to do is change the way we look after older people yeah. make sure our communities are kinder and make sure that has longevity and just becomes a natural natural part of everything we know care homes need support we still know care homes struggle to engage with with some of their residents 
So the more we can add value to that, the better. And ultimately, what we'd like to do is work with more and more provisions at lower cost so we can reach more people. Do you have a target for an area of num- number of care homes you want to work with, roughly? Because that you're suggesting you want to cover an area um, at all ends of the spectrum. Ideally, in Norfolk, we'd like to be working with 30 to 40 care homes and yeah. then look to expand. So we have started working in Suffolk, um, but ideally we'd like to... Whether it means we'll move county by county, I'm not sure, because if we have resources in other areas, we might you know, go from one yeah. county to the next. Um, but ultimately, if we have, we work with about 30 or 40 care homes on a regular basis in Norwich and Norfolk, sorry, that means we could then expand into other regions. Yeah, and you, brilliant. So you're, you're looking at a seismic, seismic shift of behaviour in communities with resources that are already there. And your plans are to cover the UK initially, or yeah, that would be global, the, or? definitely the UK. That would be our aim. Um, I mean, if if you compare the UK to other nations, some other nations naturally have the intergenerational theme working yeah. better. Whether that be um, there's a lot of shared living that's happening in places like America, in Scandinavian countries, we've got a lot more children and nurseries going into care homes on a regular basis. Um, Ultimately, though, we want to help, so uh, if that takes us across the world one day, Digby would be happy to yeah, do that. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. So how else would you develop your, your business? Well, what we're hoping to do as well is um, get some corporate partners, um, and we've got a great reputation across Norfolk at the moment, and as a growing charity, or hope, hopefully will be a charity soon, that's coming out of Norfolk, we really want to put ourselves on the map as being an area that's got the intergenerational theme right. What we're looking for is businesses that would want to help support us, businesses that are taking their corporate social responsibility important, you know, and keeping a focus on that sort yeah. of thing. And ultimately, I think with the sorts of corporations we could work with, it's very vast because we work with all ages, mm-hmm. you know, so regardless of what type of prof- profession that is, um, they can see value in adding to, to the type of people we reach. So potentially, if you say you start spreading across the east of England to start with, and you centralise your operation, you could look at some bigger companies who cover that area. But also the the connectivity you describe social impact wise, you know, working with care homes, with schools, with local people, there are local businesses involved in that as well who could potentially get involved and donate. Um, so yeah, that sounds good. So you, we're putting a big shout out to corporate partners of Definitely. any scale in the Norwich and Suffolk areas initially. Yeah. Who that, might want to get involved that would like to help and, and help you replicate it and presumably you're looking for money but perhaps also a bit of support and advice and yeah guidance. it's not just money it's different types of resource and it could be a business that has uh, a particular niche or area of expertise that they can just help us with so by giving us um, their assets or helping us with what they do whether that be an insurance company saving us on their insurance costs or legal advice you know we, we need help in all sorts of areas so we'd yeah really encourage people to reach out and in terms of a scaling up it could be that companies help invest in us to to say look we've helped this area we're now yeah. seeing hundreds of older people in this area interact with children their well-being improves simply because we're fulfilling our corporate responsibility and we're, we're helping this organization yeah. grow and you could give them a friend indeed badge we certainly could yeah absolutely um we're coming towards the end of the, the podcast i'm just going to finish with a couple of questions really is are there any social entrepreneurs or charity leaders that you've seen that have inspired you along the way that no 
No. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's been uh, new, numerous people. Um, someone I know you know as well, Rebecca White, at Your Own Place. Yeah. Uh, so Your Own Place, uh, their primary focus is to reduce youth homelessness. And I actually worked for Rebecca for a short period of time. They're doing fantastic things. And uh, Rebecca's actually an ex-teacher as well. Yes. Um, something about teachers that... Uh, I know. Well, that podcast, this podcast follows on neatly from that one. In fact, you and I met at a... Uh, your own place thing where John Bird, the founder of Big Issue, was that's right swearing a lot and that's saying right. some amazing yeah, things. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, but yeah, so um, Rebecca, yeah, it's really really definitely. good social entrepreneur. And not just the aims um, and objectives that your own place is fulfilling, but Rebecca as an individual, she's very tenacious and hardworking, and you have to be to set up your own social enterprise and to become sustainable and grow. You you have to have that resilience yeah. and. Going back to what we were talking about before, anyone that has a desire to do this sort of thing should just give it a try. I thought about it for a long time. I always knew I would try, and I don't regret waiting to this point in my life because I think I've needed particular parts of a skill set to be able to do this well. But ultimately, if you don't like something in the world or your communities and you have a passion to change it, just try something. Yeah, I love that sentiment. Absolutely. People power to change is what they're all about. Is there anybody else you want to give a shout out, not necessarily just a social entrepreneur, but who's helped you on your way or has given you a leg up or has inspired you when you were younger or um, as a teacher? or? Well, actually, I would uh, straight away think of a teacher who I've recently got back in touch with, um, a wonderful chap called Mr Nevins. He was my Mr. form Nevins. tutor. yeah, And um, I met up with him again recently and hadn't seen him since high school and I was, you know, thanking him for the impact he had on my life. And he's, he's a very humble man. And he was like, oh, no, Kelly, you were always brilliant. You know, and I wasn't. I was a pain at school. Um, and he was actually an individual that really taught me a lot about the value of kindness. And uh, sometimes when I was messing about and, you know, being a pain to teachers, he, he helped me realise about how important it is to be kind to others. Um, but a lot of people have helped Friend Indeed get to where it is now. I've had a lot of support from friends and family, um, the friend who designed my logo. You know, there's, there's so many people out yeah, there that yeah. have helped me get to where I am because in the early stages you, you do need that help. And uh, for me it's certainly predominantly be friends and family. And You know, it's really impressive the way you've started this. You've invested your own money, you've got skin in the game, you've asked pulled favours from friends and families, you know, to get it up and running. A, a lot of social enterprises don't start with great big lumps of investment and um, that is a harsh reality so to get something up and running in you know, two years is, is amazing Kelly. Um, where can we find you on social media where can we find out more about so we're on um, most social media platforms um, our website is www.friendindeed.org.uk on facebook you can look for us just as friend indeed norwich and uh, Twitter, friendindeed underscore. Um, we, our website actually will be changing. We're going to develop that soon and, like I say, make it more functional so care homes can find a way to use and collaborate with us through that. But um, also on Instagram, some very cute photos on there in friendindeed Insta. To really ignite an interest into her project, she's had a tremendous amount of local press Well, thank you very much to Kelly Lindsay. A wonderfully insightful podcast from her with a real gauge of what a bit of passion, determination, people power, collective experiences can do. And I'm sure that with her ambitious scale plans, it won't be long before there will be little visitors and friends indeed all across the country.
You can find out more about Kelly and she's looking for people to get involved at www.friendindeed.org.uk. You can contact me at podcasts, number four, Sockent, or at Diggs Chats on Twitter. All the music was recorded by me and I look forward to joining you in the next podcasts for social entrepreneurs. sitting with Sarah Nice, Managing Director of Independence Matters, um, a fabulous spin-out based in Norwich, and we're just going to have a chat about how it started, Sarah's journey, and a little bit about the, the social enterprise model. How are you, Sarah? I'm fine, thank you. And actually, it's quite nice to be called Sarah Nice, because my professional name and how I'm known at work is Sarah Stock. Is it still? Yeah, yeah, oh, no, it's, yeah, I'm, it's, it's I'm still... I'm perpetually confused so, by that. Yeah, well, no, and that does get quite confusing with companies' house and, and what I have to sign, oh, yeah, no. what name I have to sign in legally for bank checks and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, so I'm just still known professionally as Sarah Stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two so, identities. It's quite nice to be called Sarah Nice. Or nice, however you want to call How it. How would you like to say Nice? I don't mind. Sometimes I say, when people say, how do you pronounce it? Is it nice? Sometimes I'm feeling nice. And sometimes <laughs> I'm not. And then you need to call me niece. So, okay. Yeah. I, don't, I really don't mind. Don't mind. That's fine. We'll, we'll maintain the inconsistency throughout the podcast. So, uh, can you give us a brief summary about Independence Matters? What is it? How far does it cover? What's the, the main uh, beneficiaries? Who are the main beneficiaries? Mm. And the size of it? Yeah. So Independence Matters, um, because we're a spin-out, um, you know, is quite a, a eclectic mix of services and customers. I mean, basically, we support adults um, across Norfolk and into Suffolk. Now we have a, a new company that goes into Suffolk. And it's um, adults with learning disabilities, adults with um, older people with dementia, people with mental health issues, um, and a lot of people who have a, have a, a kind of dual com, uh, diagnosis, so a combination of those. And we deliver those through, as I say, quite an eclectic mix of um, business lines, business delivery lines. So we have um, uh, large community hubs and we have smaller community hubs um, for people with dementia. Uh, we have about seven larger hubs and a, a range of uh, smaller hubs. We have supported living for people with learning disabilities. We have three um, bed-based short break units. Um, we have personal assistant service. We have um, a, we have a pet bedding factory actually in uh, uh, Norwich that um, it actually employs people with Ooh. disabilities. Yeah, so we uh, have that. We have Stepping Out, which is our um, acute mental health uh, rehabilitation unit over in the east of the county. 
So, so that it's quite an eclectic mix of, of services. Majority of um, people, I mean, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of people are um, commissioned customers. So they're they're pay they're individually commissioned and you know they're paying customers but they're commissioned through various frameworks from mm. Norfolk County Council, Suffolk County Council and also um, from the CCGs. So that's you know that's the largest so that's a mixture of, of a health care budget and personal budgets. Yes. I mean it's predominantly predominantly um, uh, social care, so local government um, yeah. funded services uh, and everybody, yeah, I mean everybody in theory has an individual budget that they uh, can spend on services, you know, every, every person who's uh, eligible for support, you know, has that and then we have some that are funded, some people that are funded through continuing health care. Stepping Out, which is the mental health unit, that's um, funded through health and the five CCGs across oh, the, the country. Fantastic. So, so, yeah, there are different um, different funding streams and now we have, um, so yes, you know, we're talking about independence matters and um, how independence matters functions, but we now have a wholly owned subsidiary company called Home Support Matters, oh, which we that's uh, new, that's yeah, new that's new, yeah, and it happened very, very quickly, very suddenly. Um, it was in December of mm -hmm. last year, and and that actually that came about because of the strong relationship that we have maintained with the. Uh, local authorities yes. that we work with so that came about as a result of the well, um, interesting you've had of allied on your sort of governing board you've had the local authority represented have you yeah well we're um uh, i mean when when we set up so we're a, a spin out from north county council set up in um 2013 um and at the the time we we wanted to be a wholly owned staff company mm. um but we also, we, we did actually recognise, the Norfolk County Council were very, very supportive. Um, so it wasn't a, you know, we want to get rid of... Yeah, and it wasn't, we want to get rid of services, we want to, you know, that wasn't their driver. There was the driver at the time between, um, you know, they didn't want to be delivering services anymore. Mm. So there was there was that driver. There was obviously, you know, the beginning of austerity, that, that kind of type of thing. But actually, you know, we worked very closely with them and we got them on board and they understood what a social enterprise was and actually they wanted to be part of a social enterprise and um and also like i say it was you know you were talking about 13 million pounds worth of Ooh. service well yeah. to my mind why are you just gonna you're not just gonna hand that over yeah. to a group of people that you know might have a vision and might have you know the the kind of the will and the desire and yeah. but you don't actually know whether it could have all gone horribly wrong it could have done so they actually wanted to be part of of that so mm -hmm. we're quite unique i think in that um the staff own 51 percent of the shares and the council own 49 percent of the shares mm -hmm. and at the time i wasn't going to argue with that i wanted to i wanted to to yeah. go i wanted for us to you know go so and to be honest all that does is they're, they're a sleeping partner yeah. um, and we just have one we have one rep who sits on one director who sits on Ooh. the company board but the board they're in the minority on the board and um you know it yeah they're, they're like a well, sleeping that's partner been really. going for six years so that, yeah no it's not and it's not a, it's not a member it's not a member I mean, of the council it's a um Ooh. i mean perhaps we'll talk about the spin-out process um yeah. A, a little bit later. Could, 
can you, uh, how many staff are there now? And uh, uh, well, in what's the reach? In, okay, in Independence Matters, we have, um, we have a headcount of, I'm going to say approximately 800 because it goes up and wow. goes up and down. And that's because we have a lot of part-time, mm-hmm. um, you know, staff because of the work that, the nature of the work that we do. And in Home Support Matters, we have 250 plus, again, that goes um, mm. up and down. So, yeah, so, so we're a So just for the benefit of the listeners, just explain what Home Support Matters is. Okay, so Home Support Matters, yeah, Home Support Matters is a subsidiary company and that came about because of the national failure of allied healthcare. Um, So so where the relationship with the council is good is that we were approached to, because it was, uh, you know, it's unprecedented in terms of um, health and social care, but allied were failing, there was CQC warnings, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of um, uh, kind of alarm about the whole process. So councils were actually in a position where they were able to step in if they wanted to, they were able to step in and terminate contracts and, you know, do something very different, which, you know, in, in a very short space of time. So they approached us in November, yeah, November to, to do something. I was very clear that that would not come into independence matters because it's a very different uh, model. It provides support to people living in their own homes. It is it's home support, domiciliary home support with um, what they call flexible dementia. We do flexible dementia services. We do enhanced home care um, services, which is uh, supporting people coming out of. Um, uh, the acute services and we do um, what you call rapid response services as well. They do a little bit of supported living for people with learning disabilities. It's a very different way of working. So I was very clear for a whole host of reasons that it would not come into independence matters. It had to be set up as a separate company. And we literally, we um, we had the first conversation uh, November, I think it was the 20. Fifth, and we went live with the company December the 10th and wow. it was a fantastic example I have to say and it you know in some way it was fantastic it was brilliant we all worked together it was a little bit sad that there needed to be an emergency for it to come together but mm-hmm. it actually showed how the local authority and ourselves uh, as a, a social enterprise could work together yeah really well and decisions were made literally like that because you didn't have we had nothing you know we didn't have time to do anything else so there was some really and actually you know we're nine months in and they were really good solid decisions that um, we made so and we had no information that came from allied so we had to set all new systems up you and know you just was, did you chupy the staff was, in into that new company uh, into or? the new company yeah. yeah and we had we had all you the know usual that, stuff yeah but it, but it was in a it, it was um in a very short time frame because Gosh. the all the systems you know the systems were going to be turned off so it was about kind of you know trying to set up new systems all the, the new infrastructure um yeah getting yeah, getting everything in place because it was so all just... Don't hang about, you said. What, well, what, what, sorry, yeah, but it, but the opportunity was there. And, and actually, to, yeah. do you know what it showed me, what it really, really showed me was how far we'd come in five years because yes. we were driving that process because we had much more knowledge and experience of how yeah. to do it, of what the, of the commercial kind of side of it. Wow. Um, so we, we were the drivers there in terms of what needed to be set up and, and Alison actually is our business development director, she was the person who led the, the process and it was at the worst possible time because it was over Christmas. So for that, that type of support, it was you know, 
obviously the, the main thing we needed to do was make sure that the 6,000 hours of service was delivered to the customers, that that was all maintained. So I was incredibly proud, incredibly proud of everybody in my you know, in independence matters yeah. and how they had developed and how far they had come. Well, that is quite amazing. In that space of time. Because we, we met quite some time ago and it does show that it, you did have a lead-in before the spin-out occurred because we oh. met probably a couple of years before that had even happened. And then I was involved a, a bit with the, some of the staff consultations and bits. And I remember distinctly that that commercial identity mm. was very frightening to some of the staff at the time yeah. And, yeah. That, and when we ran those sessions that was what was coming out where people were mm. with the council we had this type of way of working this type of identity and what you're saying now is everybody's yeah. fired up and all, all yeah. the key staff are really yeah, all pushing the, all, that yeah all, all the um, key staff because yeah, yeah you're absolutely right I'm, I'm not saying that um, you know some of the, the staff that toopied with us originally so particularly some of the uh, you know the support staff that we have, and um, uh, some of the the kind of more junior, if you like, for want of a better word, um, uh, managers are not still struggling okay. with that. You know, it's still because it, you know this. Uh, well, I think there's continually a culture, a yes. culture kind of a shift. I think the the staff where we put in, where we've put in our own um, uh, HR um, department. You know mm -hmm. where we've put in our own um, finance team, our own business development team. Those people, those were the people. Our own, you know, ICT um, yeah. business partner. Those people just came together. In. Yeah, they just came together, and they were. Well, they will have none of the baggage. Absolutely, from no, fantastic. And actually, yeah. and and also, I was very keen to keep it separate because mm. there's a lot of learning that we can actually take from. Home support matters, mm -hmm. and from the experience that they have, because obviously Allied was a private, uh, you know, national private um, organisation, mm -hmm. and so very different way of working, yes. very different, um, you know, philosophy. Yeah, very yeah. different philosophy, you know, employment um, kind of terms and conditions. So for us, actually, you know, from a commercial point of view and a business point of view as well, we didn't know. I didn't know whether that was going to be successful or profitable. Mm. On the face of it, it appeared very profitable. Um, but you know, when you dig into terms and conditions and what people are getting, you know, there was a lot of stuff that, from an ethical point of view, we could. It, it didn't sit. Doesn't didn't sit comfortably mm. with us. So we changed a lot of of that. So you know, obviously, it's not as profitable as it was because we're paying people decent wages we're paying for mining yes. we're paying, you know so there's a lot of things but it gave us a real it, you know it's giving us a real insight into you know into that kind of commercial world. and also you know the, the thing about that relationship with the council and um, the commissioners is you know what I, I was saying to them is this will actually give you a really good insight into you know what you think Absolutely, you're commissioning and yes. you know what the reality of yeah it. and, and yeah. the reality and that's where for me the social enterprise part and that kind mm. of relationship between and values-led organisations, yeah. yeah. But the relationship with the council, ourselves as a social yeah. enterprise, and um, the commercial. Yeah. Also, we have sitting on our, our board, you know, um, people from uh, the private commercial world. Those three kind of worlds coming together can work really, really well. Successfully, yeah. Um, yeah, work really successfully and can provide. Mm. 
you know, it's a two-way relationship for all of them. Provide, you know, kind of intelligence, yeah. new ideas, new ways of working, and, and so you can Absolutely. take bits. So, so that Home Support Matters has been a really good for me. It's, yeah. It's, um, yeah. Now, with, with Home Support Matters, yeah. can you tell, well, leading up to the final decision, what did you have on your pros and what did you have on your cons of, before you made that decision? Um, well, I, I had some, I, and again, this is about the, and I, I talk a lot about relationships because I think it's really important to work really hard at the relationships that you have with, um, you know, so for us it's, it's with them. Um, uh, the statutory authorities, which does not mean you do everything that they ask you to do. So I had some really robust conversations with them, quite heated debates mm. um, about what I was prepared to do and what I wasn't prepared to do. Uh, and for us, so, and I had to, I had to justify that to the board, to our, our board, you know, um, because it, it, you know, they trusted me to make that decision. Uh, so for me, it was looking at on the face of it, on the face of it it appeared to be profitable. So, because prior to that, if, if I roll back the uh, 12 months, we bought a small, um, a very, very small uh, home care agency in um, uh, the south of the, the county. Um, fantastic, very small, brilliant, worked really, really hard with them, but it just could not get the hours. Uh, it worked in a very small geographical area, didn't have the, the volume, wasn't on the frameworks for um, uh, the local authorities, so it was limited to that kind of business. Very and in and in the end, that was losing money. We were subsidising it. We had to take the decision to because so actually we then said we're not we're not touching home care. You know we're not going we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Then this opportunity yes. you see presents itself to you. Mm. Probably a couple of months after we divested of um, so 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 naturally there's a. Right, okay, well, we've said we're not going to do this, you know, so I'm having to talk to the board, I'm having to convince them, I'm having to say, well, this potentially is very different. This looks profitable. Mm. We're buying, in a way, all the contracts, the business, the, you know, it's... Um, comes with customers. Yeah, that come, it comes with customers, it comes mm. with staff. If we can hang on to the staff and we can hang on particularly to the the um, care director who was who had originally founded it... 30 years ago, so it's entrepreneurial herself. She founded it 30 years ago, started as a small thing. She's grown that business, yeah. and then she, um, well, been through various kind of things, but had eventually sold it to Allied, but still had a passion for it, so was still their care delivery director. So for me, there was conversations with her. I wanted her to continue with it. She was prepared to do that. Um, so... For me, it was right. Okay, okay. Yeah. If I can get, if I can keep you, looks profitable. It's got to go into a separate organisation, though. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's just go for it. Brilliant. Let's just go. For so, it. for you, the pieces were in place that could make it work. Yeah. The, the right people, the yeah. right staff. The right, but yeah, and, the, and the, yeah, the right and business model. Yeah, and, and that's really, really important. So, so it was really important that it looked profitable. Yeah. You know, because if not, it was a question of well, we were going to be rescuing something and. You know, we'd we'd kind of done that. We'd done that before, That's and right, and yeah. it would have, it it would have taken. From experience, we know that it takes a huge amount of time and energy away from your yes. core business, and there's a lot going on in independence mm. matters at this moment as well. And um, five years in, lots of, of changes. So for me, it was about 
you know, does this look like it can be successful? Are there the right key people in the key positions yes. that I can hang on to that once we've got through the period of mm. setting up, you know, so kind of six months in, you know, mm -hmm. that person is going to be able to... And, and actually, and what was lovely was it's it's been about giving back, actually, to that founder of that original company. Um, it's about giving her back control of it. She's um, been able to develop the brand with her. She's, you know, yeah. so it's really nice, yeah, because she has our umbrella. She's part of, yeah. uh, you know, the senior leadership team. We've got a different, you know, we've got two boards now. Um, so that was really good. So it was those factors, really. And I have to say, the skill set of of um, the, like I said, the directors or the, the key people involved in Independence Matters mm -hmm. that I trusted, particularly Alison, business director, I trusted her yes. decisions and, um, you know, our finance director was saying, this, yeah, this looks this like it, work. yeah, this looks like this could kind so of So what work, did you need so. to fix then in it? Because it, uh, you had the right people, um, it did have customers. Yeah, yeah, it had all um, of that. So once we, once we, um, had well, we worked really hard. We worked really hard to retain the staff um, yep. coming across. So there was a lot of there's a lot of that people, people. relationship. Yeah, a mm. lot of a, a lot of um, that. But because it was a because it was um, uh, allied as a, a you know large company, they were wanting to kind of sell ultimately sell it sell bits off. They they were not. They gave us no information. So you talk about due diligence, but. Yeah, I mean, due diligence, you know, did not take place because, yeah, they, they we had to mm -hmm. download all of the information. So it was all of the systems. All of the systems had to be set up. All of the, you know, yeah. electronic monitoring um, systems, payroll. We had to pick up the, the payroll, which was... Uh, they don't sound like big things, but they are massive no, things. they do sound because, like big things. Well, because <laughs> payroll, they were yeah. being paid weekly, you know, so we um. had to manually do the, the payroll. They had something ridiculous like 68 different pay pay lines and we just said we cannot cope with this can't can't cope with this because it was all attached to different contracts people were being paid different hours for different work they were doing so we looked at all of, of that and there were things in there Digby that I had to say um you know okay this we absolutely have to change mm. so there was things about the pay that was all just a bit legal you know it's just legal and they would do bizarre top-ups for payments and stuff and we were saying we can't cope with that with you know we, no. we should be paying people a decent wage yeah. for what they're they're um, doing so there were some immediate things that we so you're a living wage employer aren't you yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so there were immediate things that we you know that we changed um mm. around around that um so it was a lot of system stuff a lot of stuff about um you know kind of uh, the ethics, just the ICT, you know, getting people phones, um, you know, equipment, yeah, oh, yeah, HR, you know, getting all the employees onto the HR um, system. system, massive changing, yeah, and goodness me, absolutely huge CQC registrations, you know, and it's still ongoing, and we're not, you know, we're not, we're not um, there, but there are, yeah, so all of the infrastructure. So the, a lot of that process would put put many people off. <laughs> going through that but it strikes me that you it was really you, exciting you, yeah it, it, it was really exciting you are naturally quite entrepreneurial and you quite like taking measured risks but also it seems to me if you get the, the right people there you yes. can trust them to do yeah. the work then you will move the mountains to make yeah. sure that yeah it, no it ab yeah absolutely place. yeah it's a, yeah it, it's about that and everyone was very mm. excited about it. so it was a huge amount of 
work and people were working round the clock to get it done and coming in, you know, weekends and all that sort of um, stuff. And I have to say, you know, I'm not the person who's actually doing that as the, you know, as the the leader, if you like, as the because of the size of our organisation, I'm not the person who's no. getting in there and, and doing that. I was orchestrating it and making sure that everybody was okay and making sure that they had the right kind of um, support, making sure that, you know, if they wanted me to step in and support Ooh. with, you know, difficult conversations, those those bits that I want, you know, I did the bits that, or tried to do the bits that would make it easier for them yeah. so that they could get on with what they needed to do. And it was hugely, it was hugely exciting. You are right, it was absolutely key for me that the person that we were, um, so Sue, who's the delivery director that so forget about that it was allied which was a, a national kind of company it was almost you know the way that she operated locally the branches yes. and service she had the right values she wanted you know she herself was quite although it was a difficult time she was excited about yeah. the fact that she would be able to both have the power and the control back and be able to to do what she wanted to do um, but have the kind of support of a, a larger organisation. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to her, actually, I mean, one of her, her big concern was that she would be, um, would she be able to be entrepreneurial? Mm -hmm. Because would she, you know, would she be swallowed up? Would they be swallowed up by independence matters? By wow. the suddenly kind of, so that was really interesting. So, that's interesting. But, uh, but yeah, yes. Because so. that's not you at all. No, but absolutely. That's quite no, 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 absolutely no. Interesting right. perception. No. I mean, because you have built a very strong brand. Yeah. So, so I guess it does come across like, could come across like a big company. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fascinating insight into that. Um, yeah. No. Uh, into that process, and it, it it's a, an interesting reflection of that initial process that you went through spinning things mm. out. Um, which took forever. Which took <laughs> forever. <laughs> but, seemed to take forever. But is what um, what. How do you feel, if you look back, can you give me a few examples of the differences of you as a senior manager in Norfolk County Council mm. and you as the managing director of a dynamic social enterprise mm. that's taking other companies on? Well, I think that the difference is just... I the mean, personally and practically, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, pers personally, it's, it's just much more empowering and the um, kind of freedom that you have to make, you, I mean you need to make good decisions but the freedom that you have to make decisions mm. and to be the kind of um, in charge of your own destiny if you like and the, the destiny of the, the company and the direction that you're, you're going in um, and the, I mean the massive difference is you have the opportunity, I have the opportunity to focus on the company on the organization you don't have all the political wider politics yeah you don't have all the political um wider politics around that, politics that, that yeah you don't have that so although you you're operating within a political arena and you can't mm -hmm. ignore that because obviously you know um and you shouldn't ignore the marketplace that you're working in that would be a silly to do that but um yeah it, it's just a lot more freedom uh, you know and, and I will, and the company will, you know, kind of live or die by the decisions we make as well. So, so it, it, it's very different. It, it's very, very, yeah, it's very different. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so what, that leads me into asking you a little bit about your background. Mm. That's all right. So how did you get into the care sector, if you like? How, why, how did you end up here? Where did you start? What did, is that something you... An ambition you had or experiences no. from very young or no 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 tell I tell me the story well <laughs> I no I'd never I'd never thought that I was going to come into um, care uh, but so I went to art school originally I mean I, really? when I was at school I had no idea actually what I wanted to do I probably mm-hmm. knew what I didn't want to do I knew I didn't want to do offices you know I, I, and I was more creative and yeah. I was more arts based so mm-hmm. it was you know English literature arts that kind of stuff um, yeah, and I was happy to kind of just draw, but but actually within that field, I didn't quite know. I didn't really know what I wanted to kind of do. Um, and when I was at art school, I had a friend who was doing her uh, training for people with learning disabilities, and she seemed to be having quite a nice time. And that she was going, she was meeting lots of different people. She was going on lots of different placements. She was doing all sorts of stuff. So she said, "Oh, you know, oh, and I had that's right. I had in my head I wanted to be an art therapist." So I thought, well, maybe I could be an art therapist. Oh. That's kind of what I might be. Yeah. So I thought, well, okay, before you do that, Sarah, you might, you, you know, why don't you go and do the training that she's doing, and then, and then you'll get to meet lots of kind of different people. You get to go to prisons, you get to go to so all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I went along. I went along for the interview, and it was at what was then Little Plumstead Hospital. Um, and oh my word, it's like woof. I mean, it was a real shock yeah. to me. I was just, I was really, really shocked. Um, just because, because this was in 86, I started my training, um, and I'd never seen so many people with, uh, with disabilities, with learning disabilities, together in, in one place. And also in those days, you had, um, you know, the wards were locked, you had, um, you had people, you know, large groups of people in one area so the ward so you know wards the ward I went on to when I visited was um what they called a challenging behavior ward female ward and I went in there and um there was I remember there was somebody that somebody was banging their head against the wall somebody was lying naked on the floor it was a heated kind of floor there were people sort of roaming around everyone was contained and stuff and I remember going away from that and, and I got um so they offered me a, a place on the, the training, um, and I remember going away and thinking, "Oh my God, I'm never going back. I could, oh, I can't, you know, I can't kind of do that." But I didn't actually turn the place down. I deferred it. So I deferred it for a year because I was going. I went up to Scotland and drew for really? a year. I was like, oh, deferred nice. it. I deferred it, but it got. But then something got in my head Ooh. that was saying. Well, that isn't right. That's not right. That's not right that people should live like that. That's not how it should be. Yeah. And why are all these people locked away that I haven't seen? So I don't understand that either. So I went back and did my training. So I did, uh, you know, I went back. And because um, I thought, yeah, well, if nobody goes back and does anything, then you're not going to make any difference at all to anything. So it just got under my skin. Mm. So I went back and I did my training. And when I qualified in those days, you could kind of virtually say where you wanted to, to go. Um, and I wanted, and I, uh, and the challenging behaviour ward that I went on at the time, um, lots of people didn't want to work on those kind of environments, but I wanted to go back there, so I wanted to go back. Um, and yeah, and I, and I did, and I was fortunate when I started working on there that um, 
going through changes and stuff. So there was a there was a, a um, sister at the time who was had been brought off nights onto days, and she was brilliant. She was probably one of my first mentors uh, because yeah. Key she yeah she was a key person because she although she'd been qualified for a long time and you know she'd been on nights and stuff, but she was really keen to do stuff and she wanted to know from myself as a newly qualified person what was the new way of working so what were the new theories oh, wow. what was the and we That's worked we had a really good team yeah so for me there's that thing about all the way through there's this thing about teams and building oh, yes and good people. yeah building good strong teams um of people that mm. you know kind of work together and if i look back before that there was a lady there was a and I didn't really think, but I didn't think about it at the time. But the two must have been connected mm. in my subconscious because where I lived when I was growing up, there was a, a girl, um, well, a, a girl at the time called Sarah, lived opposite me with um, a learning disability, six uh-huh. months younger than me. And I didn't really notice at the time. She used to come to my birthday parties, yeah. and we'd kind of share that. And then suddenly. When I went to school, so she would she would go off on the school bus, you know. So so I kind of knew there was something mm. not there, and so I think because I'd known her as well, and then suddenly, as I say, going to Plumstead yeah, and seeing, yeah. well, why are all these people here? It's like, oh my god, there are connections. The, yeah, the most, yeah, those kind of things of just that Did sense you, of that's not right. Are you a Norwich? Are you a Norfolk girl? Right. Have you grown up down here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was originally from Essex, but yeah, I'm, yeah, no, I'm. I've lived in Norfolk for a long time now. Yes, so. yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think um, that so that was so what that's very inter- that's that interesting. kind of and sense of injustice drove me. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than an artist with something that's under their skin. Mm. But did you, when you were in that environment as well, did you coming fresh from art college? Did you want to bring any of that practice? Yes. Yeah. There no, as well? it did because in those days as well, there was a lot of you know there was a lot of. Um, uh, talk about like normalization and um you know uh, the kind of medical model and i, I was originally like saying trained in um uh, health so it was the sort of medical model still at that time the social yeah. model was was coming in and um, but for me and, and that was the beauty when we went when i went say on this my, my first um uh post and the sister that was there you know, what we did was we got rid of a lot of the, what they would call like the training programmes that people were doing because it was like, you know, trying to get people to wash, tie their shoelaces and stuff. And actually what I was saying and what we were saying was, but if people have no quality of life or they're not out and about doing stuff yes. or you're not doing something like you say, that kind of creative that mm. engages people, yeah. you know, if people have a better quality of life, that's much better for somebody than trying to get them to tie the shoelaces up, which reality is they're never going to do that, so why not get some Velcro shoes? You know, so they can That's do it It's almost quicker. like a, a metaphor. So you can you, go out. I want you to sit in one place and tie your shoelaces yeah, up, but you can't was, go anywhere. Yeah, I know, you know, it, yeah. it was trying to find easier ways of doing some of the, the practical stuff so people could enjoy all of those kind of stuff. And actually what I did very much through, and have always done through my career, is combine that creative side. And I haven't actually necessarily, um, uh, I've allowed, I've supported other people in that outlet. So I've encouraged the use of creative arts for the people that we, you know, that we work with, because it's a brilliant way of people expressing themselves when they often can't express themselves in any other kind of way. We did some, I remember when um, Plumstead as the institution was closing. Um, we did some brilliant work 
uh, a member of the staff who was very artistic, uh, did some brilliant work with people and we put on a whole exhibition and it was all about, you know, how, what did it feel like to be in that type of environment and it was expressed through, through um, sculpture and through, yeah, through paintings and through that kind of stuff and it was really, it was really, really powerful. It's very really, powerful. Oh, it was really powerful stuff. And, and just it, stuff you didn't really think about, you know, people would say, well, and, and then it did all, and that's the other thing I think that you always need to do, and I've always reflected, because although I'd worked with a lot of people there, it was just, you know, some of the comments that came out through that exhibition, and I thought, Sarah, you know, you never ask that question. You never ask that question. You never ask that question of that person. Mm. You thought you you thought you were empathetic. You thought you maybe yes, understood. But actually, you yes. had no idea what it felt like, what it actually felt like to live, you know, to to live in, mm. you know, on those wards. Because it's just people would say, you know, I was frightened at night, or I, you know, or um, you know, my friends had died there. My it was just really really simple kind of stuff that you thought. Yeah. But the but the art presents multiple sort of emotions and communications in a way that, and, and when you're on a ward managing, you're just managing people and you're doing stuff. So the the time to reflect and talk mm. and draw out slightly deeper stuff isn't there. Yeah. But if you've got the art and it's on the ward, it also is helpful to communicate to the suits who often come mm. around looking at things, isn't it? Because they'll be thinking in outputs and outcomes yeah. and all that but actually if you see an artwork it can be quite and you're saying you know this person mm. had that story and it's like in here in this room we're sitting in in um, what do you call this uh this is the learning lounge the learning so, lounge yes. has got pictures <laughs> and quotes from people and um all sorts of bright yeah. and colorful uh, inspirational stuff everywhere um is a lovely way of, of communicating non-verbally mm. your values and your, your interests and people's experiences. Yeah. Very, very nice. So after you'd done that bit then, so how, where did you, what did you do next? So you did your training. Yes, I did my um, training. And then, well, then I, I sort of... And then were you sold on that as a career? Were you just getting drawn into it more? Well, when you, you see, when I reflect, and you talk about that art side of yeah. things, um, so when I was uh, at the, in the kind of health side of learning disabilities, actually, so I, I worked on that uh, ward, but then I, then I took over all of the, what they called at that time, the activity kind of departments, because uh -huh. that brought together that art side of things for me, that creative side of things for yeah. me, because I was able to, and that's where we developed all the, uh, you know the kind of exhibitions and the creative art sort of stuff so again the people that I then appointed to the teams had those additional skills to to kind of yeah. use so it was about yeah and, and that was just about opening up different opportunities for mm. for people you know giving people um value giving people you know role modeling a different way that your life could you know, kind of um, be, uh, and but I did I did all of those did all of the um, you know worked in well uh, respite services set up respite services set up and um, community support services um, like I say did all the activities. 
services and then it, then then see the and I, I did make a conscious decision to stay in I, I did go into the community um, in terms of health at that point and then I made a conscious decision to come back into the again into the hospital environment and part of that for me was because um, you know everyone talked about how wonderful the community was and it was you know it was really good but I also thought well if all the good people if all the good people go and work in the community then how how is there going to be any changes and difference for the people that are yeah. still it, it, were still living in the, the institution at that time so although it wasn't particularly it was, it was kind of trendier to be out in the yes, community yeah. I I yeah, I, I was concerned you about still those. Recognize. I was still concerned yeah. about those people and wanted, yeah, wanted to make their lives, um, you know, different and, and better. So I consciously went back into the into that um, environment to try and keep making a, a difference and to try and influence. And I think as as you went, you know, you go further up the the kind of management ladder. It's about, you know, for me, it was about trying to influence wider. Um, and in order to do that, you need to get the people. You need to get the right people uh, around you, which again becomes difficulter as you go higher and as organisations get, get yeah. kind of bigger, that becomes um, harder. And then I think it was in 2002 when the hospital was closing, I was seconded across to local government, so Norfolk County Council, um, to set up some new teams that were, um, were happening. And that was really interesting, just because that was a bit of a baptism of fire into the political mm. arena, because it didn't end up, never occurred to me that I, you know, that I was operating in, that I was an officer of the council yes. and the members or anything like that. So again, when I first went in there, having to set up, I was having to set up teams very, very quickly, which I really enjoyed, but we made decisions that probably wouldn't have either got, if we'd have had to take them through a process, the council wouldn't have like, made but I would, yeah, but I was like, yeah. well, I was naive and, you know, need to do this. Well, why wouldn't we, why can't I just go and do that? Why can't I just, so we just Love did it. it, but we just did it, yeah. you know, just did it. Uh, I had to unpick some of it a few years later, <laughs> just because well, we're in there. But, <coughs> but again, that was that bit about, you know, this needs yes. to be done. Actually, I haven't got time. We haven't got time mm. to spend a lot of time talking about stuff. And um, Before we get too um, deep into council, the world of councils, just going back to the hospital. So you, I think it's very interesting. Could you? Very interesting. Well, there's two themes that just keep recurring. You and building good teams to get stuff done is, mm. is a very strong theme. But the other bit is this this desire not to leave anybody behind and to make sure that, um, yeah. that you you personally can be a an agent for change. I think the yeah. thing is. So have you got an example of something you did when you went back in from the community into the hospital? Something that you said, well, I'm going to do that to try and to to fulfil this desire to improve the... Well, I think it was... It, it, it was some was very... It that attitude as well? Or yeah, it, it's yeah. that attitude and it's about... It was, it was some... For me, it was some very basic stuff as well. I mean, we... we um, so at the hospital, we had... Uh, they had forensic services on, on site. And so, you know, people that have come through the, the courts uh, and that's a... Uh, you know, even at that point, it was a secure... Um, environment and people would get you know have to kind of earn if you like their parole and kind of uh, come out and I, I um, uh, set up and we, we redesigned was fortunate enough and it was brilliant probably one of the last things that I did when I was uh, there we redesigned a whole um, uh, building kind of activity building which was for those guys to kind of um, do stuff and I remember everybody sort of saying 
to me, but you know, you need to have a. I, I used to fight really hard to not have stuff. So it was, you know, you need to have an alarm. You need to have, you know, well they're gonna they're gonna either trash this or they're gonna do that or why have you got those lights up there? And I was, you know, and I was always very clear, like no, 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 they won't. People won't because it's about, you know, I'm trusting Ooh. them. I'm respecting them. We're gonna have a really good time. This is gonna be fun. They, people are gonna want to to do this. And again, it, coming back to that arts bit, it was yeah. about using arts as a medium to kind of do do um, that sort of stuff. So people won't do that. And I don't need alarms because people are not going to be. So it was always about, off, you know, mm. showing people a different, a, a different way of doing yes. things. And, and, and nobody did. And it was brilliant. And the environment, you know, and it, I mean, the sad, the, the only sad side of that, and I don't know that you ever get, I don't know how. Well, it's never how perfect, it's, is it? Well, no, the sad side was that, um, you know, for some of those guys, that, and I met some of those guys, you know, after they then say were discharged and went into the community. And, um, you know, a couple of people I remember saying to me, Sarah, the community, we had they, because they had a really good time, they had a really good time. Mm. But it was always that balance of, but the community isn't nice. The community isn't nice to us. They're mm. not, they weren't ni- they're not nice to us like, like you were, like, you isn't know. Interesting. You know, so. And that takes it to the next <laughs> level. So you're dealing with institutional kind of problems. Mm. But actually, then it becomes more of a society. But it does because it was really, it was really sad because, and I wouldn't do anything. I would would not do anything different. And I always think, you know, because for me it was about, you know, well, not just learning. Cause well, it was about learning, but it, but it was being, it was about being respectful of human beings. It was about yes. making, you know, role modelling, you know, positive behaviour. It was yes. about showing people a different way of living mm. to maybe um, and role models that they had um they'd had before but then you you kind of think oh so what you know did we did we set people up in a way to fail because the world out there isn't as nice and you get that don't you in prisons yeah you yeah. know prisons oh, yeah. you know you, you get that way if you know if you've got a really good Gene that's trying to show people are really good, and then yeah. suddenly they're out the door. They're coming and, out with loads of qualifications, and there's and a lot of stigma, and, and there's yeah. a lot of you know, and then suddenly it's like, but the community in the world isn't uh, isn't nice, and I, I don't know how you get around that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer well, to that. It, but it just it, again that continually made me reflect because yeah. it was like, okay, so so I'm thinking I'm doing something really good here, setting you up, you know, positive. You can have all the skills that you need. All oh, the world's a wonderful place. Kind of off you, you know, off you go, and then you think, oh, and people are saying. The, the, next, nice the next stages and the, the sort of more contemporary times, because those were different times and it wasn't your decision to shut a lot of those, those hospitals yeah. and that meant that people were no longer contained in one place, but the next level is more about supporting people to develop coping strategies and finding mm. safe spaces to explore, stigma yeah. explore you yeah. know, how will you deal with this situation yeah. when it happens, and that is a yeah, and I think um, I, I think all of that. So, if, so looking at the you know independence matters and the the name and the the branding and you know in so independence matters, you know independence matters is really important for people, but it's very different for everybody. And in our branding, the I matters mm. is the important thing because it is about saying you know every single person matters, but every single person is different as well. So. So it's it's not about trying to fit people into one particular model. And I've also I've learned as well because I start not so I'm not uh, in a kind of idealistic, but I started off in my early days as being 
really quite purist and idealistic. Yeah. And actually there was a, a point, and it's not so long ago, where, and I wasn't, and I'm not sure looking back whether I actually listened to people because I was so sure about what I thought was right in terms of, no, everybody should be doing this, and should be, but in some ways, I'm not sure I listened as I should have done to people on that journey that I was, you know, mm. kind of saying, because it was, it was very much about, you know, everybody should be doing this, everybody should be living, this is the right, this is right kind of for everybody, and, and I'm not sure, it, you know, I don't think there is a right thing. No, I mean, that, that has brought you here, and actually mm. you've set up a company that at the core of it is saying everybody's unique yeah. and we, we need to be able to adapt yeah. and support yes. human beings, not, not categories, yeah. which I think is... Yeah, absolutely. But, that, but, but you probably wouldn't have got there if you weren't being idealistic. I mean, it's difficult, no. isn't it? No. it? And then there's a certain stage in management and leadership where listening becomes incredibly important and when mm. driving something forward is as well. Yeah, but, yeah I think you are right. Because but you we... probably do sense check it because if you're building a team, there are multiple viewpoints in that team and they are all clicking together whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't necessarily, if you wouldn't be able to get away with just having your one idea for that team no. to do no. without it being shaped a little bit like no. And I think, no, yeah, yeah, you are right. And if you do, if you do my personality profile, <laughs> my personality profile yes. is that I'm very, um, uh, very emotional. So I'm high on emotion, yeah. um, but I'm uh, equally high on will. So, so therefore. So you're emotionally intelligent. But I've got I've got a high will. So if if I think something needs to be done, um, then I'll do it. So even like setting up the, the enterprise, if I get something probably in my head, yeah. then I'll do it. You know, it might take me a while to get there, or it might be quicker, or it might be whatever. But I will try to do it in a way that will will um, acknowledge or be empathetic to other people that are. Yeah. around me and sometimes you have a, a you know you have time to do that a bit more mm. and other times you don't but I'll try to do it without totally riding over yeah. everybody but I still will I'll still if that's the way we have to go then well you do you compromise the way we have to go in order to yeah. get to the end point that you're you're striving for with your spin out you certainly mm. didn't give up then no no, was, no no we had to quite had a few to years that. of exploration yeah. and pushing it and negotiating and working with counsellors and working with external people yeah. and internal people but well, at the heart of level. that yeah. There was a, a set of driving things forward and people kind of... Yeah, yeah. That I always, I always kind of... Because that seems, seems like a lifetime ago now. Because um, that's things that you forget and you quickly move, you move on. Yeah. But actually a lot of that at that time was... You're right, it was about orchestrating. You know, it was being the conductor of the kind of orchestra and making sure that everybody, you know, everybody kind of was doing what needed to, to be done. Um, yeah, and... and that kind of emotional intelligence about it, of understanding yeah. that actually you have to try and get everybody on board. Because the process is the process. I always say the process is the but process I mean, if you've got to go through it. It is the way you do it. It is complicated um, and you're dealing with all sorts of different people with all mm. sorts of different agendas. Oh yeah. At different levels. You're dealing with political people, which adds a whole it's very different from yeah. spinning something out of the NHS or spinning something out of a, a corporate company because you have uh, sort of sm small p political but when you're with mm. the council you've got a lot of people standing up saying well, yeah. we, we are protecting the people this is yeah. for the benefit of, of the community and stuff and so 
being able to, you know, read those people and work mm. with them. And it's just, it's just it's putting yourself in, kids. trying to put yourself in their shoes, isn't it, and understand Ooh. and what their anxieties are, what their kind of things are. And, you know, um, when you talk about, like, the, you know, reflecting and, you know, reflecting on kind of your career and what you've done, I will always take from whatever situation I'm in or uh, anything that I do, there, there'll always be things that I will take from that that I will be able to use. So, um, you know, when you talk about the the kind of initial seed being sown for the, the spin-out, that was when I came to the, you know, the, the school for social entrepreneurs, yeah. the, the hub, and some and the people, the different people Ooh. that I was introduced to, and there are certain so there are certain things from certain people, and I remember, yeah, you know, that I, I, I used, I used in the process mm. of the the kind of spin out. So I remember one guy particularly saying to me, he was talking about pictures, he was talking about you know from a commercial sense, um, you know, he was saying, well you know, always anticipate what that person is going to be asking you or what they're going to be right. Always anticipate the, the kind of what they're going to be looking for in terms of the, the problems. You know, use all of that, make sure that you're kind of prepared, you can do any answers and stuff. And that was, and I always remember that when I went, you know, when I was dealing with the politicians in terms of, because I was sitting there thinking, yes. well, why are they going to be, why are they going to be handing over 13 million pounds of business to me? Yeah, yeah. Why, why are they going to do that? That's so the key you know, you they have every right to be worried about that. They of have course. every right to grill yeah. me about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I would, and I remember what that guy said. I can't remember where. I can't remember what. And no, I can't either. I can't remember what organisation it's from. But you know, it's those sorts of things that you you learn and you transfer yeah. to situations. And you know, and so I've always done that, taken snippets of things and been able to build them into. Yeah my toolkit and kind of yeah good sort of practically learning, yeah and then practically practically kind of yeah the other bit that, actually so. has just popped into my head is that you out of everybody that was in that group of people seemed particularly proud when we gave you the I was badge. I was I was so incredible yeah because I mean and again I don't know how other people um feel I don't think I don't think of myself as uh, being entrepreneurial I don't I, I don't uh, or I didn't think of that but when I'd actually got done the spin out, when I'd actually done the spin out, then I kind of I felt, no, do you know what, Sarah? You yeah, you've done that. And do you know what? Of course you've had other people that have helped you to do that. But actually so it would not have happened if you hadn't done it. So yeah. I think you've earned the right yeah, yeah. to wear that badge. And I still have it on my So I still have it on my um, uh, Yeah. Because oh. it was yeah, and it's fantastic. And, and that's that's the thing I think about the um, I don't know whether it's that you're that you're always then striving kind of for the the next thing. So until I'd actually got, but until I'd actually kind of done it, I didn't feel like I'd, yeah. uh, you know I don't the right if you like to kind of um, do that. But as soon as you've then got there and you yeah. set it up, it's like you're then onto the kind of the next part of it. So you're always looking forward. You're not very often looking backwards, which is why when having this conversation, it's difficult to think back to. Okay, so what did we do? What did we do? Because you're constantly looking forward. You're constantly yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. okay, so what's the next? What's the next phase of the company? What is it that we mm. next need to do? How are we going to, you know, how are we going to survive? How are we going to ensure that this is sustainable and viable? Mm. How are we going to make sure that we're delivering and evolving to suit, you know, what the customers want and the, the kind of outcome? That's brilliant. And at that point, we're going to have a tiny break. Good, good. And then um, we will come back and I'll ask you about the business model. 
So uh, I've returned with Sarah in front of a plate of delicious biscuits <laughs> and a good coffee. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the business model and how um, the, the income works across the organisation. And then we'll talk a tiny bit about social impact <coughs> and then finish by uh, chatting about the issue, current issues and, and future potential mm. in your sector. So, Sarah, okay. talk to me about the business model. So, the business model that we have. So, we a, are a community interest company. Yep. Um, and we're, let's say, limited by shares. And the staff own 51% of those shares, which are held in an employee benefit trust. And the council own 49% of those shares. The shares are not, we don't trade in the shares. That's about the democratic process and that's yeah. about the staff involvement and the staff uh, engagement. So, uh, you know, they're, they're very kind of uh, connected to the, the business and we have two staff directors who sit on the, the board. Now we are, you know, social enterprises you always talk about as not for profit. Um, we are profit for a purpose. That's how I prefer to, to talk about it because yes, every business has to, yeah, we have to make a profit. Mm -hmm. um, it's about what you do with that profit and it's about, um, you know, the, the kind of profit margins that we would put on any of the um, uh, business that we're doing. Uh, so, so in terms of the uh, income and customers, there's a variety of, so if you take both of the organisations working the, the same way so home support matters is wholly owned by independence matters and it's a community interest company <coughs> in the um, same way but we're the sole shareholder in that so in terms of the the income um we have uh various contracts with um uh, on various frameworks with Norfolk County Council and with Suffolk County Council um and depending on what framework that is um will depend on the income, how the income flows through the, the business. So um, for some of them, so for uh, uh, some services, it's about individuals, you know, every individual customer that we yeah. have. Um, so uh, the customer brings yeah, the, the some customer. money with them. Well, it, well it's, um, so, so, on, so on one of the frameworks, for example, um, the, the council set the price for yeah. you know the price that uh, we have to submit the prices as part of a consultation process and so we have to cost out you know all the providers uh, do that yeah. but the council will then ultimately set the the price for for that um, and then that's on uh, if you like a pay-as-you-go basis mm -hmm. so for every single customer that comes through our door and that's um, referred to us we will get paid for that uh, that customer uh, then we have and that's the same in um, uh, some of the, the domiciliary services yeah. in home support uh, matters some we have um, small block contracts for so um, again in home support matters and in independence matters those tend to be things like um, our respite services because they're quite specialized they're yeah. quite um, uh, they're small units that's the model they're small units um, so they're actually quite high high kind of uh, cost and you know whether you've got six people in the bed or three people in the bed you still you know you still need to have a core group of, of um, staff to, to do that so we've negotiated small block contracts for for those so it's a bit of a variety we have no guarantee of any work at all so even though uh, you know we have the the uh, joint share ownership people think that that's a guarantee of work it's not a guarantee of work at all and we work really hard to you know to to be constantly 
looking at what our customers want, whether it's our individual customers that come through the door, whether it's the the local commissioners in terms of whether it's healthcare or social care professionals or whether it's the strategic commissioners. We work really hard at that. So so we're never complacent about that yeah. and always very clear with you know with um, uh, staff that you know there is no guarantee of yeah. work. So so the income streams come through through in different yeah in different and in terms of a marketplace does does that mean that you the customer I'm using the word customer when I probably mean beneficiary, I suppose. Mm. Um, well, we talk about well, we, we talk about them as customers. Let's use your language. Yeah, we talk about them as customers, so people are beneficiaries. And the reason we did that, and, and if you talk to the customers themselves or families, they'll call themselves or different. They'll they'll Whatever. call yeah, yeah they'll, they'll call themselves because ultimately they're you know they want they're people they're individuals. Okay. So yes. actually, if you call them beneficiaries, if you call them customers, if you call them you know it's it's yeah. all language, people. isn't it? We very consciously <coughs> well we, when we when you talk about the business model, mm. we very consciously consciously called them customers because initially the work that we did with um, uh, John Lewis which were you know helped were, were very helpful with us in terms of uh, setting up was because we are selling we're selling we're, the product that we're selling is ourselves in a way it's the mm. interaction that all of our staff have yeah. with the person that they're supporting of course there's an outcome there's a goal there's something that we're working towards with mm. that but ultimately if you're not selling a good interaction in terms of a human interaction, yeah, yeah. that person has every right to go somewhere else and to purchase them. Yeah. So it was trying to change the culture in people's minds to say, actually, this yeah. person is paying for their service. They might not be handing the cash over yeah. as they're doing when they go to a hotel or they go in, you know, somewhere like that, but they're paying and they're yeah. paying for a customer experience. That's what they're paying for as well. So, you know, and saying you have no right, you have, you have no right to this business at all. So it was trying to shift that mindset of people, particularly in the early days of coming out from, you know, out from, um, yeah, local the, yeah, the kind of local authority setting. So, so when we talk about the business model and when we set the, when I set the, the board up, um, you know, I was very clear that some of the expertise that I wanted on that board was about, we're, we're a business to customer organization. That's what we are. And we're very similar to, you know, you kind of, retail trade your hospitality yeah. trade it's you know it's all about that experience and people remember the experience they remember the experience and how you make them feel that's what they remember so you know that's your word of mouth kind of mm. stuff that's your your um you know which is really important because we're sitting here in a nice environment this is a nice environment but not all the environments that we inherited and that were yeah. nice so we was trying to say to people Yes, some of it might be about you might you might go somewhere and it might be a wonderful kind of environment, but actually if the experience that you get is not very nice, you're not gonna go back. Yeah. You're not gonna remember the environment, you're gonna remember sure. that experience. So so that was why we were very deliberately changed it to that kind of yeah, no guarantee of work. You need to make sure you're delivering mm. a good experience. That will be the best marketing you can you know, you can kind of do. So And that will then so you've answered my second question perfectly, which was about working with your customers yeah um, and the customer feedback yeah influencing the potential yeah. for future commissioning yeah and actually with the, with the customers so when when um i was saying about that kind of you know uh being very idealistic about what yes. um what i thought the way that people should maybe live their lives that we should yeah. all you know be all be doing 
this and uh, and then when we went to John Lewis and spoke to to them um, it was absolutely fascinating the way they look at their customers and their customer segmentation and I could and because and I deliberately chose those types of organizations that had what I thought was a good value kind of base mm-hmm. right kind of a, and also we're no threat to them you know no. so they're happy to share with us all their kind of you know their if you like soft sales technique all that kind of stuff but it was absolutely fascinating mm. because there we could take their customer segmentation and lay it across particularly in the learning disability side lay it across those customers and they were exactly the, the same and what it showed me was because what John Lewis was saying was you know we know that we've got this generation here that actually like the John Lewis sale experience they you know they want to kind of have that we know that they're not working in the digital world we know that they come in and spend kind of time and that's fine we can cater for them mm. we know that we've got these new guys coming through that that, you know they're not interested in that necessarily so you know they want to do it online they want to they, you know they want to change and then we know we've got this kind of which actually i probably fell into which was really interesting this kind of coffee and cheese gone person in the in the middle you know that um, and also they they and and you could act, act you could really see that because mm. and i was trying to fit everybody into this new you know this is just the way, that one yes yeah this is the way you know this is kind of the way we should be doing it. rather than actually saying no do you know what Who do we say? it's fine it's fine if you know it's fine if this is what's comfortable yeah. for for you this is because actually if you're talking about being a customer also what, well, why wouldn't we deliver that why mm. wouldn't we deliver what you're asking us to deliver for your you're paying yeah. for it so who am i to tell you that's not necessarily right but trying to move people more to be more aspirational, to be more, you know, to be more independent, mm. to, you know, but to recognise that some people might be a bit cautious, a bit worried, a bit kind of whatever. So it was, it, it's a, a really good... It's fascinating and it's yeah. really, really interesting it, thinking what you said earlier about institutional medical establishments mm. and the idea that you are providing a service to somebody, but that is not, you know, in a very different mentality to a customer relationship mm. in a shop. So how have you worked with your staff to get that attitude across? How have you applied it to your setting? Um, this well, we've applied it through all our, our kind of our values and um, woven it through, you know, the the way that we expect people to behave, the behaviours that we expect from our um, staff. We've woven it through things like our um, our uh, kind of recognition, uh, you know, kind of. Where we say thank you to people for it. so it's all reinforcing the the values and reinforcing yeah. and also just through through um you know all the conversations that we have so through all the kind of team meetings through you know every conversation that i will have so i come to the staff um inductions uh, so we had one on monday um in here and so for new staff it's just it's sowing mm. that seed as well about because i think there was this misconception and and i know it's, it is it's it's um it's a false market some ways, you know, health and social care is a false market because it's a created market. People don't have the freedom to just go out and you know buy from whoever they want to. You know, you end up working within within frameworks. You know, you you kind of accept that. But nevertheless, like I say, you know, and I say it time and time again, you you know, you there is no guarantee of what you should not expect if you're delivering a poor experience to somebody that that person and why should they and what would you want for your the person yeah, that you yeah, you care for the person that you you know that you love you want the best so for that do you monitor person. feedback from 
user uh, customers? Yeah, well, we have we have a very um, active. The other thing that we have uh, in the organisation is a very active um, stakeholder uh, kind of forum. Yeah. yeah, and they call themselves the stakeholders. And that's parent carers and um, uh, customers, you know, combination of volunteers that are involved um, in that. And we have a, uh, a very active non-executive um, stakeholder director who sits on the, the board who happens to be, she's a, um, um, uh, her mother-in-law uses one of our dementia services. Oh. She spends a lot of time out in the services. She spends a lot of time getting feel feel of kind of, places and she doesn't get involved in the operational side of things but no. she's very well known now so that people accept her and she can absorb the kind of the atmosphere in the way and you know she'll spend time talking to people um she'll she'll get feedback from she does a carers um carer and customer survey um so that's kind of quite independent and then within that we do you know we, we do the kind of more formal gathering of information uh, feedback through yeah. surveys and stuff but also for me it's about you know, to me, communication as well it is about listening to everything that people will say to me. So this morning, um, you know, as I was kind of coming through, I said to someone, oh, you know, are you all right? Or kind of, you know, what, what did you do yesterday? And they said, oh, I was bored. And immediately I would think, okay, so let's have a conversation yeah, just yeah. about that. So I think, you know, and, and then I would have a, just have a conversation with with them, um, you know, somebody say, oh, you know, just to just to try and understand. Okay, so what was that? Is something because actually, you know, you say, well, if someone's saying they're bored today, definitely. Again, why? You know, you can maybe be bored once, but if you're continually and that, bored, and that's how you why make, would you not? You really embed it. Is you're responding to what you're yeah, hearing so on a yeah. day-to-day basis, yeah. as well as looking at feedback that may be a little bit old and, and yeah. collated. But yeah, that's yeah. good. Who who are your um, who are your competition? I mean, if, if you know, if you're not guaranteed your you're saying, who else well, is in this space? Okay, well, there are lots of people in this and space. And how do you relate There to are that? lots of people in this space. So in, in, um, so in say, the learning disability, uh, in Independence Matters, and again, you know, we have to look at all the different markets because we operate in lots of different markets, actually. So in the learning disability market, if you take our, our business lines in the uh, kind of day opportunities, we're the largest player in the, the market, um, you know, just, you know, and, and part of that is because of the historical, yes. you know, the historical kind of thing. And that's the other thing, when you talk about customers, so what we were saying to, to staff was, you know, the first thing that we need not to do, which there's a very real danger when we spun out, was we don't want to lose our customer base that we have now. Because yes. it is really difficult to get your customer base back and to, you know, we need to retain this. So you need to recognise that we need to be evolving and kind of moving forward. We're the largest player in in that market. There are lots of um, lots of smaller, uh, you know, kind of smaller independent yeah. independent um, uh, offers in terms of that, and that will vary across the county as well. So it's understanding, you know, how that operates across the county. Um, in the in the um, supported living side of things, we're a very small player. We're a very small player. There are lots of you know far more um, organisations out there that deliver supported living in respite services. I think we're possibly the only provider in the way that we do it but that's because it's a bit of a niche market it's very expensive to um kind of deliver it in the model that it's being delivered in at the the moment yeah. um, so you know 
they're not looking to replicate that they're looking to do alternatives to kind of supplement um, that so again that's about us hanging on to you know and retaining that part of the, the market so again it's got to be good you know the quality has got to be good that yeah. we're um, delivering and then in older people services so in older people the older people's market um, that's changing because um, you know we're supporting you know many more people with dementia um, you know that's the focus there's not an, there's not really an old people's market for for kind of um, what you'd call the day opportunity or the day support side of things um, you know people don't want to do that people are doing you know which is brilliant people are doing a whole range of, of different things and so the you know for the dementia side of things as much as anything it's about respite for a family carer yeah. for a spouse you know mm. um, when the journey begins to you know kind of uh, develop and then for home support matters um you know that's uh, we're operating very competitively and you know that's a, loads of providers mm. in the home support market and some nationals like um allied were uh, and then some small local kind of you know local agencies with home support matters um as well it's you know it's about retaining the domiciliary base that we have in order to be able to do pilots and do the the kind of uh, the mm. respond to some gaps and and needs that there are in the market to do like your flexible dementia response you know rapid response type services oh. so but it's a very fluid market and um so is that one, area, in the one area you're you're innovating in i mean have you is there anything that you think you've done that's new not done elsewhere or is there anything you're looking at in terms of future products um, well, we're constantly looking at, um, so, so part of the, the work that uh, we do is, it's not replicating what other people are doing. We like to work with particularly uh, smaller, smaller social enterprises to work to supplement, you know, ah, to kind of work in collaboration nice. with what we're yes. doing. So um, Kelly, who you, you know well, friends Kelly and Lindsay, indeed, yeah, Lindsay, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I met Kelly a few times when she was starting, you know, when she was starting up uh, Friends Indeed, which is a brilliant, a brilliant organisation, you know, the intergenerational kind of work. So she does, she does um, sessions with our, as part of our dementia uh, kind of offer. Another organisation which is called, a local organisation called Eyebrow Arts, which is, um, uh, again, they do lots of uh, kind of collaborative projects and things mm -hmm. with our, um, both the learning disability uh, customers but also with the dementia um, customers the brewery that we've got here um, on site yeah so it's, it's trying to and because of because of the size of organization that we are we can we can we can kind of support some yeah. of those organizations too Ooh. so you know for for the brewery it was being able to give them the kitchen, kitchen space yeah. yeah to be able to give very them a bit good. of kind of uh, support I mean it fits in that very way it does you know it does and it enhances our offer you know that's yes. the thing it enhances our offer um and, and i think because you know we don't you have to be careful as well that you're not trying to deliver Something everything well, you're not trying, yeah that you're not trying to deliver everything yeah. to everybody and there's a real danger of that particularly when you as you grow as an organization there's you know there's a there's a real danger of that because people will come and, and ask you to do mm. sorts of things and it's not necessarily what your expertise is in and and even some small initiatives can take up a huge amount of 
time yes. and energy as well. So again, it's kind of being... But it comes back to what you said earlier about working with the right people. I mean, yeah. somebody like Kelly, you can see she... Yeah. Um, will just get on with something. Yeah. No, but and, and, she's, and, and, yeah, she's you know, fantastic. But you're yeah. enabling that yeah. by actually helping. Yeah. But it also, yeah, it, 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 um, yeah, it enables, it's supporting her business, it's supporting, yes. you know, supporting and, the, the and kind of the development of that. It's providing her with an income stream in terms yeah. of, you know, saying, oh, no, we're, we're happy, we'll pay for, we'll, we'll pay for this, yeah. you know, what started as some taster, you know, taster sessions. No, 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 we will actually, you know, we'll pay for this. We value this interaction. We'll pay mm. for it because actually it enhances our dementia offer. It enhances yeah. our, you know, you, you're the expert in doing, in doing yeah, um, no. that. So, yeah, so it kind of, so uh, we like to do that kind of collaborative, uh, you know, collaborative sort of working, I think, with providers. And particularly, you seem to be doing that with social enterprise. I mean, the brewery mm. wouldn't necessarily survive as a commercial model in a town centre because mm. of what you need to offer as a, um, as a, cof- as a, a, a bakery and a brewery, but also working with yeah. uh, people with learning disabilities. Whereas here, it yeah. fits in with your offer um, and they can still do that amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, and I think for the brewery, it also just, you know, hopefully supports and allows them to, or enables them to think about, to, to think about what their what the business model is that they want in the yeah. the future, because they haven't got to worry about, you know, they need to generate a lot of income to pay for the lease. There's you know, a lot of overheads, aren't there? Yeah, it kind yeah. of it allows them, we're able to support them in that, in that and sense and but I say it enhances it enhances our opportunity and it enhances our pathway for the the um, people that we're supporting so yeah. so you know this is a brilliant kind of opportunity you know and hopefully people then move you know will move on and out and hopefully through that they might get you know might get work so um so the last I've only got a few more questions mm-hmm. um what do you see as the Future in your sector. What are you looking out for? Horizon gazing. Mm. What can you see is coming up? What are the key issues? Um, you know that, that you you're going to have to tackle as an organisation. Um, well, I think in again, it's it's probably a bit different for each of the customer mm. groups. Um, so I think for people with learning disabilities. Um, I think, and and we're quite comfortable with this. I think that um, you know there will be less customers coming through um, being supported. I think that side of the business might shrink for positive reasons, though. For positive reasons, um, for you know, because people that have um, maybe been within services for a while are moving on to to kind of you know more independence to you know and and there seems to be a more proactive approach to that from the um perspective of the commissioning perspective mm-hmm. so i think so you can either view that as a threat or an, an opportunity, opportunity and yeah. we very much view all those things as as uh, uh, opportunities so um so i think so that's that's challenging for people and that's challenging for staff if you talk about you know well actually it's a positive thing if you know if maybe over time the customer base reduces we as a business have to look at okay so what's our tolerance for you know in terms of uh, how we we kind of do that so I think that and for youngsters coming through you know I hope that there are I hope that some of the stuff that's being talked about and that we're being asked 
to develop our services will actually come to fruition so that you know the aspirations that people have mm-hmm. will actually yeah transpire into yeah into more independent into more independent um, living so so I think you know going forward our organization is going to to change I think yeah. it, it could shrink you know which I don't think is a, a bad thing um, it might become more focused around stuff in the older people's side of things um, again I think that, that that will for us that will shrink to a core of people with um, dementia I think potentially will divest of some of the smaller services that we currently yeah. deliver and that's a very interesting um, uh, dynamic when you talk about the conversations that we're having with commissioners at the moment because yeah. actually we're saying I don't really think this is what you know what you should be buying what you maybe yeah. want to buy what the next generation is wanting um, but at the moment you know they're happy to purchase them they're a bit cautious about you know about Change. yeah so from that perspective you know at the moment we'll we continue to say well if you're prepared to if you're prepared to purchase them at the price that we're charging you I mean, then is, is their good services will have will deliver them for sort you of the thing go. where you could offer some a different type of service to meet the new future need or well, would you, you well for, for us i think for, if you're talking about um uh, the mar- the markets are in social care the market so the market in older people's services is a very interesting marketplace because although there is a, a big demographic so in Norfolk there's a massive demographic of older people um, you know more people retiring here etc etc so um, more people who mm. have dementia but that does not translate into people that either want to pay yeah. to buy something or commissioned customers coming through because if you're a private paying person then you're much more savvy with your money you're much more cautious about the amount of service you're going to be purchasing because you've got your money has got to go further um, so the commission side of things there's a high demand for this unmet yeah. need out there and we're looking we're working with the, the council about you know uh, whether there's some investor save monies that we can help to plug some of, of that so Sue is constantly looking to try and find solutions to some problems that they will come with mm-hmm. um, the private paying market which everybody thinks is a big market mm-hmm. that you can move into and it, and it is a, a market that's there but people come into that market much later and they tend to purchase less care because you're looking after <coughs> you know you're looking after your your own um, your own finances and people are living longer and so therefore people are putting off putting off when they want to you know kind of uh, purchase care so it's very much trying to understand that market so although somebody might say to you oh yeah you know well there's a massive private market out there you know but they're just basing that on the fact that there's a demographic there's an increasing yeah yeah, yeah. but that doesn't translate into somebody wanting to Uh, available no it doesn't translate into someone wanting to buy something necessarily no no, Um, absolutely in fact, it, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily. One of the biggest challenges that we have is recruitment. You know, that's a massive mm. challenge. And that's, that's the one thing over the uh, six years 
uh, that we've seen a dramatic change in. Okay. Yeah, recruitment is getting harder and harder. Is that that must be across the sector? Yeah, because I is. imagine if people come here for interview, they would be quite impressed with what you've got. Yeah, well, it it's, it is across the the sector, and um, you know because of the the national living wage, which is positive. Yeah, but yeah. you know from from the point of view of uh, you know, pay differentials now being, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a unique selling point from our point of view. Of course, it's not so much now because other providers are, uh, you catching know, up. yeah, are catching up. So therefore, it's thinking about, you know, so what do we have? What can we offer mm -hmm. to people that, you know, will make people want to, to come and work for us? And, you know, for us, that's about how we you know, hopefully how we treat people and, yes. you know, how people feel connected. Do you work with um, City College and places like that to yeah, I mean, we, yeah, in yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's just, it's, it's just a difficult, it, it's just difficult, um, it's difficult yeah. for everybody. Um, Norfolk is quite unique in that it's, um, you know, it's uh, because we're, uh, you know, we're kind of, uh, we don't butt up to other counties necessarily um, so in some respects that means you've got a you've got a kind of uh, recruitment pool that everybody's yeah. pulling from you know all the providers are pulling from the, the same um, pool so that can be you know that can be a bit difficult but yeah it, it's just that the demand is there particularly commissioned work the demand is there in, in home care home yeah. care is something that you tend to get you do get more of a movement between providers historically again and that's okay. about understanding that that market as mm. opposed to independence yes. matters which people tend to stay within the learning disability mm. side for longer it's always historically paid more you know it's that kind of, so in, in in home support matters we have a very active recruitment because it's about supply and demand um, mm. uh, and it's just understanding those markets in home support matters in that market you sometimes get sort of seasonal work so people will want to do a home kind of support in the summer then in the winter it gets a bit whatever and they'll go off to a residential home okay <laughs> and, then, and then you'll find they'll come back yeah it's quite interesting because they don't want to be out and about in the the winter travel rural you know lots of youngsters don't drive and and interestingly when you say there's about that elderly population so people will say well this is there's an elderly population here mm. um but by the definition of there being an elderly population there there's less young people or there's less people of employable age that you can employ to support those people so it's it's quite fascinating that, that whole, is a fascinating so it, well it is it is fascinating and, uh, and yet you just have to keep an eye on that all of yeah. the time and understand it so it's a big um, challenge I, I think we could probably draw this to a close. Um, I did want to ask you about technology, but I think we'll leave that mm. for another time. Um, it's absolutely fascinating, Sarah, um, where you've come from and where you've arrived at and what you're doing. Is there anything else you want to leave? My I think it's good listeners it with? is fascinating when to have the opportunity actually to look back. Mm. And I'm aware that I've, you know, in some ways I've jumped from kind of topic to topic. And I think that's because you don't very often, you don't very often look back because when you're, you know, if you are developing something, if you're building something, you know, you're constantly looking, you're constantly looking forward. So you very rarely do you look back at either what you've done or what you've achieved yeah. or, or that journey because you're constantly on to the you're constantly on to the the next um, thing and I think you have to be I think you have to be you know not getting complacent about anything and just constantly 
looking at what might be coming over over the horizon. Is that well, perhaps we could leave it with um, a piece of advice you would give Sarah oh, six gosh. years ago. Six years ago. So yourself, or maybe eight years ago. Um. Hmm. That's that's. Uh, Given the gift of hindsight. Yeah, the gift of hindsight. Do you know what though? I don't know that there is any advice, only because I think there's something about if you don't, if you don't know what the future necessarily is, you might, you might not start on that journey if yeah, yeah. you actually, and I'm not saying that that's not because you don't no. want to, to get there, but there is something about having that, either that vision yeah. of where you kind of want to be, all and actually, you're not. Even, aren't they, yes, future, yeah. yeah. So you're not actually you're not actually worrying at that point about how yeah. you're going to get there, or you're just you, you're just kind of going through because yeah. you because that's where you're focused and that's, that's the where, direction. Yeah, and that's where you want to to be. Um, so maybe instead of a piece of advice, so a piece of key key learning throughout this process. I mean, I think for anything that you're going to do, well, for me, it is about it is about building teams around you and building support. Yeah. And I have to say, whether that's on a personal level um, because you know whatever you do if you're committed to it it will take up a huge amount of your time you know it and your energy and you know a lot of things around you might suffer for that so I, I think it's about making sure as well that you're you know you've got a strong support yeah that you've got a strong network um, around you there whatever that network might be um, and that you take you know and that you do recognize that within that you need to take some time for yourself, you know, some headspace, however you might do that or whatever you might do, because if not, you're actually not going to be any good to anybody if you're, if you're just totally exhausted and shattered all the time. That's not a healthy place to be for me. No. So. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for the biscuits and the coffee and the lovely environment. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's been um, fascinating. Isn't I, it? Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. So I, what I'll do is I will share with everybody... Um, links to the people that we've talked about links yeah. to your website and your twitter feed which is very yeah. active yeah um and uh, people know and I'm, i'll put a couple of photos as well in the program notes of, that i took today yeah. and i'll we'll take a selfie and if you link it to independence uh, home support matters oh as, as well, well yes. and that would be good just because that, see and that's the thing about that constant fun. like learning and reflecting because i'm finding it fascinating being you know, just looking at like your own place, and I will take things from you know from the way that Rebecca does stuff as oh, yeah. well in terms of what. She's well, we haven't talked about the fact that both directors. Were I know because you've got you constantly, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that that she's you know doing and the technology and stuff that mm. she uses, and yeah, and the amount of tweets and twitters and stuff that she does, you think, oh my god. I know. <laughs> but that's where you, that's where the, the thing isn't it that you're when you you say well I don't know you're successful or you've kind of done it but you can still feel totally inadequate yeah. <laughs> totally well there's always new stuff to learn isn't there <laughs> totally inadequate next to that kind of tweet <laughs> oh my god right should we be tweeting uh, yeah, yeah. and then I think well how do you manage to do that how do you manage to tweet that you much well, I don't know it, yeah she's got everybody tweeting hasn't she and she's got everybody kind of the whole team doing yeah. stuff Which, and I think that and, and that's why I don't I'm not worried about from a personal perspective, I'm not worried about if, if we shrink in some ways, because as you do get bigger, you do lose. You, you know, you can because it's you know it's bloody hard to get 800 people. It's hard to get 
20 people, whatever it is, to tweet. Yeah. She's got a much smaller, you know, you can, in a way you can have more control, can't you? And so this is kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Maybe just a, a tweet team that will draw you from all over. They're all tweeting. 